This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 41 of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today I'm joined by a bloke who's blowing up the Twitter sphere, a man who brings quality information to spaces and isn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with those in an intellectual debate. Let us welcome Foz the Aussie. Welcome, Fozzy. How's it going, bro? Good, mate. Pleasure, Good. man. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm a, quite a boomer when it comes to Twitter and spaces, so... I was actually blown away by the level of people that are actually having conversations out in the uh, air quote Twitter sphere in the public mm. spaces. Really good to see. And one of your um, your voice in particular has been quite eye opening. It's good to know there's a lot of more intellectual people out there that know what's going on. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. Well, look, I only came look my my Twitter account's really old. Like I made it back in like 2012. I used it for maybe like three months. Didn't really care about it. Then left it came back after Elon Musk had sort of, I guess, acquired Twitter. Um, and I had like no followers, like maybe like five or six followers, something like that, because like I said, I didn't really use it. And I realized shortly after I came back to it that there was Twitter spaces and I came I'm like, oh, this is a lot like Microsoft Teams. This is a lot like Discord, this and that. And I'm going into these Twitter spaces and I'm just listening to people from all walks of life, except Australians. Admittedly, when I first went into the Twitter spaces, I, I, I couldn't find any Australians. I wasn't specifically looking for them, but there seemed to be obviously a vast amount of people from the US, from the UK, from all other countries. Mate, I ended up in a Twitter space like early on, in maybe my first two months with members of the Taliban. Like I, sw- <laughs> it was the craziest thing. I, I I joined a space. There was a girl named Mina. Uh, she's a she's a Pakistani Muslim, and we had like a lovely conversation. And then she invited me into another space, and there was members of the Taliban in there. A couple of them had spoken English in this. And I'm like, whoa, this is like nuts. And I I had like some very interesting conversations about like infrastructure policies that they'd been implementing. And, you know, one of the guys who's a journalist there, he, um, I asked him because I've got obviously an interest in geology. I'm studying geology at like Swinburne university. And I, I happened to ask him, <clears throat> what's the deal with all the uh, untapped lithium deposits that exist in Afghanistan? And basically because the 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 amount of resources that there are in ter- or sorry not the resources but in terms of like the dollar figure of or the estimated dollar figure of how much untapped lithium deposits exist in um 
in Afghanistan is somewhere in the ballpark of about two to three trillion dollars. So it's quite a significant amount. And um, this gentleman who's a journalist there, he had told me, look, after the US had pulled out of Kabul, the day after the Chinese Communist Party sent their representatives over to Afghanistan to assist with um, setting up infrastructure plans and policies and this and that for like, you know, billions of dollars of mining equipment, billions of dollars of road and logistical infrastructure, this and that. And I thought, mate, I don't know where I've gone. Like I literally like this is two months into coming back to Twitter. And that was my first sort of like, deep dive into like i guess like a higher form of of discussion and debate i'm like oh my god i really really like this so i just kept at it and i ended up in a few different spaces i ended up in spaces with you know the hindu community with the islamic community with like the american christian community this and that we got to talk about a whole range of different things and then eventually maybe like four months in i stumbled across a couple of aussies in a twitter space um there's a guy named Preston Henshaw and we joined into it I joined into a space and he came in and we ended up having a discussion and then after him then I just like Aussies just came left and right from everywhere and before you know it here we are like the last three months having discussions about specific points of issue contentious points about like you know Australian politics and policies and la 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 um yeah and I guess it's just been like a really strange and beautiful experience like sort of you know all bundled in together and i'm i've been blessed man like people obviously have some sort of interest in what i have to say i come across with some contentious points um am i allowed to swear go for it it's an aussie podcast it'd be blasphemous not to sweet like i don't like to fuck around i don't like to get too deep into the weeds in some topics i do like to get into the weeds but like i tend to find a lot of people on twitter spaces um they send. They just seem to like rattle off and end up going nowhere, and I don't particularly like that with like sort of group discussion. I don't mind it with like sort of you know one or two or three people having a discussion because like you can generally come back to something. But if you're in a Twitter space, man, there's like ten people talking. You get so far off the mark sometimes, man. It's the most frustrating thing. But yeah, it's you know. I'm I'm glad it exists. I'm really glad it exists, but I am sort of concerned for the future, especially when it comes to like Australian policies and like what might be coming in the future to sort of, you know, suppress specific specific aspects of conversation. Um, you know, I know we've been spending time in in Twitter Spaces together, and you know that's something that I think we both agree on in terms of like the sort of sus- the suppression of specific points of conversation whether that is to do with like you know government overreach suppression of freedom of expression freedom of speech la 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 la. um and they're things that i am sort of concerned about but you know what are you meant to do you got to voice your opinions you got to voice your concerns people are obviously going to come and critique that's fine that's the whole premise of freedom of expression that's the whole premise of freedom of speech so yeah like rounding that up Twitter has been an absolute blessing and I'm really glad to see that like a lot of Australians are starting to jump on board, even into the political sphere, you know, like Craig Kelly on that space, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that was, that was fantastic. And I, I hope that there's this like momentum where politicians and, you know, celeb quote unquote celebrities like begin to join and begin to participate in specific aspects of discourse because it's something we need. Like we're a very small community on the grand scale of, 
how many people exist on the planet and how many people participate in Twitter spaces. So I'm glad to be a part of it, man. I truly am. It's it's a weird space to be in because, oh, geez, pun intended. Um, <clears throat> these spaces are, they're like the modern day version of conversations that only the, the elites and the merchant class would have had access to in the past. Like your conversations with Afghanis around the lithium mines and foreign policy within Afghanistan. Yeah. The average civilian would not have had access to that information in the past unless they were a world um, traveling globalist or a, a merchant class person. So we're getting an insight into geopolitical and socio-economical and philosophical discussions that have not been available or freely available to the average person in Australia and the world in general. Like people are having conversations about some of the most out there crazy stuff that genuinely would not happen if they were out in the streets or at the pub on a weekend. No, absolutely. It's 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 been a blessing, as I said. It's been a blessing in its own right. I think I think the fact that like Australians or just people in general now have this access to like sort of, I mean, obviously the internet brought brought amongst like sort of a quicker a quicker access to information. Um, it seems like Twitter Spaces has sort of like compounded that to the point where people have access to 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 almost like real time information, like what's going on, you know, not just within Australia but also globally. And I think to myself, that is probably like a threat to, you know, the status quo, because the status quo, like you mentioned, that status quo being sort of whether someone wants to decipher it as government edict, whether someone wants to decipher it as like the way things are intended to be from whether that's Hollywood, whether that's from pharmaceutical companies, et cetera, et cetera. Now there's like a huge range of people that have access to such an array of information literally at their fingertips that they are able to have these conversations and have in my in my view and i and i pray that most people do this is have like holistic discourse because it's something we need we can't just like all just yell at each other and throw throw shit on the wall and see what sticks because it doesn't it doesn't lead to anywhere and i know that when elon uh, elon sort of um acquired twitter or x now as it's called I believe he had this idea of like a town square where everyone gets to like voice their opinions and voice their concerns. And that it's that in and of itself has been like a very beautiful thing, but it certainly has come with some challenges from what I've seen, at least sort of in news and, you know, sort of on X itself, you know, you've got this whole issue now with the ADL and you've got these issues, you know, with people voicing specific contentious thought um, you know, one of the things that's been like very, con- very contentious that I've seen in in the Australian sphere recently uh, is this this whole idea of dissenting voices, uh, people that are like labelled as you know fascists or neo Nazis and stuff like that. And you know, in all in all fairness, there are some people that are of a nature that are racist and, you know, want to stick to their own colour and this and that. And I, and I get it, right? I get this whole idea of, you know, look, for lack of a better term, like I've had conversations with, you know, these are like a small group of Australians. This is a couple of months ago now. And, and I've stayed like reasonably, not, I wouldn't say good friends, but like associates with a couple of them because there are a few, there are a few individuals that are racist, but it's good to have, certain aspects of conversation that I agree on in this case, like, you know, with these like um, 
what would you call them, like national socialists that are in Australia. And there's obviously like a rise of national socialism in America because of, you know, these sort of left-wing politics that have like sort of broken down the idea of morals and ethics. And, you know, now they have like very extreme views, whether that's to do with, you know, the implication of like the separation of children from their parents because their parents disagree with the education curriculum or whatever it might be, where I agree on like certain aspects from like national socialism when with respect to um immigration policy you know immigration policy is one that in my view really needs to be looked at under a very tight lens because if you let things get out of hand if you just like you know if you just take in people from all walks of life into a nation that has been sort of governed by a specific set of morals and ethics for so long that begins to sort of like break down the societal fabric and you begin to see like the tears in that fabric and what happens. And if you keep, if you keep fueling that, and this obviously that fueling comes from, you know, government policies, it really begins to sort of like separate and divide the nation. And I think that's like the, in my personal view, like not to go off on a tangent, but in my personal view, that's like the, the sort of like ultimate crux for multiculturalism. And I'm all for multiculturalism. I love people from all walks of life. It doesn't matter what religion, because I love to have long theological discussions about religion, about spirituality, about this, about that, irrespective of where someone comes from. But on the same footnote is if you're taking in people from all walks of life and putting them into a big pool, there's going to be conflicting views on many different points. And those conflicting views, there's going to be people in there that are very, uh, how would I describe it? like almost like have an emotional tether to these things. And if you, if you say no to this person, if you say no to that person, they're going to pull on those threads on that societal fabric to such a degree that it is going to separate people into like these microcosm groups where now, you know, you've got this issue where you've got these national socialists that go up to parliament and they throw Romans and, you know, they're like, oh, look, they're fucking Nazis over there. Or you've got people over here like, oh, you know, we've got government policies over here that have no issue with like the separation of kids from their parents. Like, you're just creating all these little microcosm issues in, in, in the social fabric. And I personally, I think that ultimately leads to like absolute disarray of a society. Um, well, if that's, that's yeah. the deeper type of stuff that people don't really get to the crux of, but even if you look at it, a surface level type of understanding, Australia has a very small population in comparison to other continents and other first world nations. Yeah. If you inject 2 million people into Australia over a short period of time. That is a huge percentage increase of the population overnight. Think about the societal implications, the economic implications, the housing crisis, which we're already going under. What happens with those extra people? And then it's a snowball effect of other societal issues that go along with that. Yeah, I think... I think when you set up, and I know the Queensland's done it, uh, for people that listen that, you know, are international listeners, uh, Queensland's like the northeastern state. Um, <clears throat> you know, each state is obviously, you know, governed by a specific party. But in, uh, in Queensland, they put in a policy, an immigration policy recently, that by, I believe, 2040, they are going to be taking in between two to two and a half million people. Victoria, I believe, is taking in 350,000 people a year over the next, 350,000 people over the next two years. 
Um, I'm not sure about New South Wales and Western Australia and South Australia and Northern Territory and Tasmania, but you're right. If you take in a huge amount of people and you sort of throw out that balance of like a natural growth and a natural sort of cycle of how to sort of maintain that social fabric, you do end up with things like housing crisis. Like housing crisis obviously is an issue now. Like people are literally struggling to find places to either rent. There's obviously places to purchase, but when your average property price is like $1.6 million, like bro, most people can't afford $1.6 million for a property. And then what? They're going to go and put themselves into a 30-year loan where they're going to be paying it off for the rest of their life and they're going to be working their asses off just to pay it off, stressing out this and that. That all comes with problems. And I feel like the people that are at the top that sort of swear in these policies, it, it, it almost feels like they don't really have like a boots on the ground mentality anymore. They don't really see like sort of the implications of their choices. It's like, oh, well, you know, like I live up on a hill in a fancy house. I don't see what goes on downstairs. So I like just ignore it because I'm not seeing it in my, in my immediate view. And because I don't see it in my immediate view, it can't be that bad. But these things ultimately lead to, to disarray. We've got an energy crisis now, but this energy crisis has come about because we shut down coal plants. We send our minerals overseas. We don't like actually, you know, we don't produce our own energy. And I mean, we do in some respects, we do have gas. We do, we do still use coal, but it's on such small scale in comparison to what it used to be that now we've got people that are like, going, oh my God, my gas bills are like going up to like, you know, $700 a quarterly. Like that's crazy to me, man. Electricity, exactly the same. People are paying between five to five to seven hundred dollars per quarter for electricity. I'm like, don't we have all the minerals in our backyard that like we don't eat? We shouldn't we be like completely energy independent? You know, and I think to myself, like, why haven't we implemented these policies? Why haven't we implemented something or set up plans for the future for like all of the Australian society? Oh, that's right, because two political two opposing political parties can't come to some sort of unison of what's best for the Australian people, as opposed to what's best for their hip pocket and best for their poll ratings. And I go, mate, like some people have just like lost the plot. Like they, it's, it's almost like they've completely forgotten that they're representing an entire nation. Like they, they, I feel like a lot of them just want to like represent themselves and a small handful of people around them. They're just like, and I'm being obviously blunt when I say this, but like lines their pockets in some way, shape or form. And we've seen it, man. We've seen it happen consistently over the last like 12 to 24 months. I think it's had a ramp up effect personally since since the whole Donald Trump saga. It's weird, like not to go off on a Well, I'm going to go off on a tangent <laughs> for a minute. But, you know, like I've, I've talked about before how it seems like Australia and many other Western countries look to the United States as some sort of like melting pot of like economic policy change of cultural change, et cetera. And it's like the rest of the West seems to like follow suit after the U S like the U S does something. It's like, Oh, well that's good. Let's follow suit. And like Australia seems to at least in my opinion, since like social media and the convergence of the internet and like, you know, Google, like becoming the way it is today and Facebook and this and that, it seems like Australia follows suit through like this almost like four year behind cycle. <clears throat> and after Donald Trump came in to power in like 2016, I immediately begun to see 
I don't want to call it like an awakening because that would be like sort of disingenuous and someone might call me a neo-Nazi for saying that. But I, I, I've seen this sort of like awakening across like the West where people are looking closely under a lens at their own governments. And like the whole COVID period, in my personal opinion, completely expedited it, completely expedited it to the point where like everyone is incredibly critical of state and federal government now in every single right. And people are looking under all policies with a very, very tight lens and just pointing out flaws here and there, here and there. And then what does the government do? Oh, well, let's introduce a misinformation and disinformation bill. Let's throw this up to parliament because we're sick and tired of people critiquing us. Like, oh, all right, well, this doesn't go good. This doesn't go anywhere good. I think, you know, when you have politicians that think this is a completely good, like a completely normal thing where you're going to stamp out dissenting voices, it's like, where do you think that line goes? Like, you want to play with a slippery slope. What do you think? It's just going to be like a slow, steady, steady decline and like plateau out? No, 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 mate. If you just like stamp out the vast swath of people that are trying to propagate their own ideas or propagate like what they what is considered dissenting voices amongst like particular policies and changes that doesn't lead to anywhere good that just leads to absolute anarchy and disarray in my personal opinion and like history has always been like the definer of these things soviet union perfect example of it right you stamped out voices before you know it you've got friggin gulag where you've got millions of people being put into camps and forced labor and this and that you know german nazi regime vietnam cambodia africa like list goes on when you just like stamp out stamp out voices that's almost like you're trying to hold back a dam that's eventually going to crack and eventually going to overflow and when it overflows it's too late like society is fractured it really comes across as a last ditch effort, like through the advent of the internet and telecommunications at a global scale. It's almost like the genie's been let out of the bottle and they're trying to stuff it back in. Yeah. Australia was in that perfect, perfect spot where we were locked down so hard and all of our mandates and all the the legislation that went along with COVID, we saw what you would consider a beacon of hope in the United States. Not all of the United States, but we saw quite a few states that were open as business as usual. Not a problem. No health issues. Nothing wrong with it. And people could see that in real time, analyze it, critically think about it, and then go, hang on, why isn't our government doing the same thing? Yeah. Why are our government being so so totalitarian about this? And people research history. They, They learn from the past. They've seen what's happened. They can put two and two together. They're seeing where this is going. So it definitely seems like, the disinfo and misinfo bill that's trying to be put through is like a last ditch effort to try and quash any dissenting opinions about anything government, whether it's liberal or labor, because we know if it goes through liberal, aren't going to get rid of it. They'll leave it in place just like they did with the hate speech laws. A hundred percent. I mean, we, we saw it through COVID, right? Like pretty much all the states, all the mainland states, except New South Wales, when um, when Liberal was still in power from a federal level, uh, enforced these COVID mandates across the board, 
I know at least in Victoria, businesses had, I think it was four, four or five months to have all their employees double vaccinated by a specific date. I believe the date was, it was either, it was either October 24th or November 24th, somewhere between there to have your double dose for all employees. And if you didn't, and you got busted because the state government was actually sending out people round to businesses to check up on businesses that had been like, you know, someone would make a phone call. Oh, I suspect X, Y, and Z business people aren't vaccinated on the site. So they'd send round people to check. And if you got busted with people that were unvaccinated, $110,000 fine per person on the work site. And then they have the, the work site, obviously that includes office, you know, construction site, whatever. And the audacity of that same government then to go and say, oh, we didn't force anyone to take it. Oh, okay, yeah, you didn't physically put it in their arm, but when you're using heavy-handed coercion through like basically financial crippling of someone's personal life, how do they say no? How do you genuinely say no? Like you just go, bro, I ain't going to cop $110,000 fine per person. Now, funnily enough, the people that did get the $110,000 fines in Victoria, there isn't one single case now that anyone has paid it. All those court cases are being thrown out now because it was completely against like some sort of aspect of the constitutional rights, irrespective that Australia doesn't have a Bill of Human Rights. But, you know, that's separate. I mean, it's not... Well, really it was the, it was the fear around it, though, wasn't it, Fozzie? It was Correct. the fear that associated with it. Essentially, what we saw was government agents coming around to check under your floorboards for the unvaccinated. Do you have any unvaccinated workers here? That's what it was. It seems like such a joke, but it happened. Dude, man, it was it was such like like I I worked at an accounting firm uh, during a year before COVID, and then during the two years of like sort of the COVID pandemic. And when my boss had put it out and showed me the paperwork that he had received in the he received an email, and then it, we, the business actually received a letter at the at the business's like mailing address. <clears throat> that you know if people aren't double double vaccinated by this specific date they're going to be receiving the fines i told him straight up i'm not getting it because at least the brief stuff that i've looked into first and foremost i don't trust it secondly if someone's trying to force something onto me i don't like that i don't like being forced into something that i don't want to do if i want to do it i'll do it but I think the biggest problem exists is that, as you said, there was a lot of fear and people didn't know how to deal with the fear and they just accepted it for what it is. And I know a lot of people that didn't want to get it, but ended up getting it specifically because of those fines and seeing six figure fines. Oh my gosh. Like, well, what, what do you what, do? Well, what did it get to? It got to the point where there was only, the mandates really hadn't come in place yet. It was just like the medical personnel. And then anyone who had already taken it had taken it. And we saw that that number plateau. It just dived and then plateaued out. Yeah. No one else was getting them. That's when old Danny Boy decided first to hit up all the builders because the builders apparently were super spreaders. Yeah. And then sequentially, profession after profession, he hit up any essential worker. Yeah. Even to farmers. Like he he got every single person he possibly could through mandates. So I would put a very conservative figure that at least sixty to seventy percent of the population didn't want it, but were worst into getting it. Oh, no disagreement. No disagreement. And I think the tactics that were used were so disingenuous, but because of that like repetitive behavior, I think a lot of people just accepted it. Like I think to myself, okay, you said like when they put in like this, this, I guess it wasn't, I guess it was mandated like the masks, like people had to wear masks indoors, but like, 
okay, so I've got to wear a mask, <clears throat> but if I go into a restaurant for a sit down and eat meal, I can take off my mask, irrespective that there's like 40 other people within like a 20 square meter room of myself. All right, so you're telling me that I'm having a conversation with SARS-CoV-2 outside and just saying to the virus, like, look, mate, I'm, I'm going to go in here for like a delicious steak and potatoes. If you could just wait outside while I go in and eat, then like you're not going to come in. Like, I think this idea that like, you know, you put in all these places and, or, sorry, not these places, but you put in all these like policies because of these emergency laws that were enshrined through this like pandemic legislation has been like all for naught. It's been the stupidest thing to have this, 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 this rudimentary concept that like COVID's not going to like, not going to follow you into a building where you're going to go sit down and eat. Oh yeah. So I'm going to take my mask off and I'm going to eat and the virus is just going to leave me alone. Yeah. Like, it's just lingering in the corner waiting for you to let your guard down. Then it's yeah, going to get you as soon as you stand up. That's it. Even, yeah. even, even bars, sorry, not even bars and um, even bars and clubs, you know, closing dance floors. Like, okay. So the bar's still open, but the dance floors are not. So what the COVID COVID's doing tango on the, on the dance floor. And it's leaving me alone while I'm sitting at the bar having a drink where someone's within a meter of me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like the stupidest policies. Well, we know that none of it was really backed by any hard def defined science at all. Look at the nudge units that we had in Victoria and the SAGE group, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. The majority of people advising that were not epidemiologists. They weren't scientists. They weren't doctors. They were psychologists and terrorism specialists. I actually did terrorism specialists. There were counter-terrorism specialists involved in that because of what was happening with the pushback in regards to the the lockdowns and everything associated. The protests. The protests. Oh, the protests. God. You know, I went to a couple of them. I didn't go to I didn't go to the Shrine of Remembrance protest in Victoria. Um, but I went to the first initial protest, uh, the first initial sort of like quote unquote major protest that was before the Shrine of Remembrance. And then after the Shrine of Remembrance, I believe, which was done at Flagstaff Gardens, that was enormous. I've never seen so many people in one place in my entire life. Like I've been to the MCG and watched football, you know, and that, that holds like, I think like 90,000 people and seeing like 90,000 people where all like asses are in seats is like a mind blowing thing. But to see like, in my personal opinion, it was like upwards of 200,000, maybe even more people that were like packed into Flagstaff Gardens. And this is people from all walks of life. And it was like such a beautiful thing to see. But then like, Seeing how the police behaved with people protesting on the streets in the smaller sort of aspects of protest, so early on protests, where they're chasing them down the street, shooting them with rub rubber bullets, spraying them with pepper spray. I'm like, bro, are these people like breaking, if they were breaking like houses and buildings and setting places on fire, like, you know, Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movements were doing in the US, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough to go and shoot them with rubber bullets. Fair enough to go and spray them with pepper spray because they're doing damage to public property. But that wasn't happening here. People were just gathering in one place and like having conversations. And voicing and their opinion against what was happening. Exactly. As an ex-RAAF member, what happened specifically around the shrine, it broke my heart because we saw what the community has always thought of as the police force, they're there to protect and serve you, look after the community. We saw them dressed in military garb, firing 12-gauge beanbag rounds, which aren't 
non-lethal rounds. They are less lethal. They completely have the potential to kill people. They're opening fire on Australian civilians, shooting them in the back as they ran. That, to me, looked like an occupying force. 100%. 100%. And, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember, but there was uh, there was footage of a, an older lady with red hair. She was an older woman. And she with the flag tagged... draped around her? Correct. Yes. <clears throat> And the media spun it as if it was a transgender woman, like a, a biological male that was dressing up like a woman. Mate, I met this woman at the Flagstaff Gardens protest when we were up at, par- up at Parliament House before everyone moved down to Flagstaff Gardens. She's an old lady in her 70s. Her name's Mary. I spotted her from, I spotted her by herself. She was just standing somewhere. And I'm like, that hair is very familiar. And I went up to her. And I, I just, I just like, she was just by herself and she, you know, she's just like watching a couple of the people speak, uh, like David Limbrick was talking and a couple of others. And I asked her, I'm like, are you the lady that, are you the lady that was at the protest that had the flag around her and like the police like manhandled you? She's like, I am. And it's like, she's like, you know, but you know, please like, you know, so keep it quiet. And this, I, I don't know what compelled me to ask her. I just had this like inclination that this was the woman. And she told me her name was Mary. Her family was there. They went to church. They didn't go to the Flagstaff protest. They like, they were up at Parliament House, but they went to church afterwards um, with her, her grandkids and her daughter. Um, you know, and she told me some wild things, like a couple of things she told me, like what happened during that day was unfathomable things that I didn't even like see on like video footage. You know, she told me, she told me there was uh, two 15 year old boys who were there protesting as well. And the cops, these heavy handed, like military garbed police spear tackled these kids, these 15 year old kids, and then like dragged them away from the protest. Obviously, I don't know if they got arrested or not. She doesn't know. This happened prior to her being like basically manhandled by these police officers. But then she told me something really interesting. According to her, uh, there's the Labor government. Now, whether this is true or not, I have no idea. But according to her, the Labor government has been allowing a, a ship to arrive off the eastern coast of Victoria and allow illegal immigrants to be pouring in into Victoria. This was the conversation that I had with her when she was standing outside Parliament House. I had a little brief look into it when I got back home that night. I couldn't find anything of it to give any sort of validity to it. But, you know, some Mate, people I come would, up with crazy things. I wouldn't put anything past the government at this point because that exact case you're talking about, the mainstream media still comes out to this day saying that that was a man wearing a wig and a dress, yeah. LARPing as an old woman. Yeah. The problem is, and I, I 100% believe that an elderly woman was knocked down because i've seen the footage myself i've seen it from multiple angles it was definitely an elderly woman the really concerning thing about all this is there is video after the fact of a very clear man in a wig with a flag around him dressed up as her so that tells me that the mainstream media or the police or the government put something in place that they wouldn't cop any flack for knocking down and spraying an elderly woman that they put a uh, a fake story out into the mix to portray as the truth to make everyone look like crazy cookers. Oh, I mean, we saw it in the US, right? We saw it with the January 6th thing. Turns out now that there were CIA operatives that were there that day causing dissent. They were the ones that were breaking windows and stuff like that. So I think to myself, like, if that's possible over in the US, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this stuff happens here. 
like it's 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 really and i think it's really disingenuous of the of the of the government whether that's state or federal irrespective of its liberal and labor personally i'm of i'm of the belief now that there's no real fundamental difference between liberal and labor clearly there's been a massive drop off of liberal supporters to such a degree that the liberal party is basically null and void it's basically a skeleton crew at this stage and i think to myself like how do you guys truly not look in your own backyard and identify the issues oh don't worry we're going to be doing IBAC hearings oh don't worry we're going to be doing anti-corruption hearings Where's the arrests? Where's the people that are in trouble? The only two individuals that I saw actually get screwed, not screwed over, screwed over is the wrong term. The only two individual politicians that I saw get grilled under like anti-corruption hearings was Gladys Berejiklian and the the deputy premier. Um, what was his name? Golly gosh, his name begets me now. I've got his face in my head. He was the one that um, played a pivotal role in trying to uh, arrest uh, Jordan Shanks out of uh, New South Wales. Oh, uh, right. Yes. Yeah. 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 And those, obviously, neither of them two, neither of the two work in the, pil- well, as far as I'm aware, neither of the two work in the political sphere now. Um, but they're like the only two politicians that I saw actually get grilled to, for something. But that was separate entirely separate to COVID mandate policies. It was entirely separate from that. And I think to myself, all these things that have happened since 2021 up until now, really, like I think a lot of this is a continuation. I don't think people have given up, given up the push against said state or federal government. It's it's almost like it's almost like the state and federal government members and heads of those heads of those parties just think that like all of this is gonna just like just blow away into the wind and everyone's gonna forget about it. Like nah, bro. Like when you seriously try and suppress an entire society, that stuff doesn't go away. This is like you've basically created a gener a negative a generational a generational thought process of negative of negative thought on said political movement or on said political government because it's it's almost like it's 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 almost like they think and I know I said it before and I know I'm going to reiterate it again it's almost like they think like you know everyone will just forget it's almost like they think everyone's stupid and doesn't have any sort of greater concepts of what takes place. You know, it's almost like they think people can't go and read like policies and bills that get put into draft and this and that by themselves. Like it's, it, it, it truly baffles me how, how, how degraded the state and federal governments in Australia have become in comparison to what they were a decade ago, let alone two decades ago. And it's almost come to a point now where, you know, I just, I just see the Labor Party as almost like this, this com like communist manifesting like beast that's beginning to like take form and like, you know, sort of show its teeth. And that, you know, that's presented itself in a few ways. That's presented itself in Victoria where we've had the, um, the most recent thing that, that seemed to completely go under the radar. And I was talking about this back in January when I had like 50 followers on Twitter was uh, the windfall gains tax and the windfall gains tax, basically for people that don't know, <clears throat> separated people from 
their own farmland. So you you fell into six regions. If you fell into six regions in Victoria and you had farmland of, uh, I believe it was two hectares or more, um, within the within the uh, the regions of Windham, Melton, uh, gosh, I can't even remember the other the other four off the top of my head. But if you had a farm property of two hectares or more, and the farm property didn't have a like a, an actual property on it that had like a bed. They were very specific about this. Like there was some, some exclusions to this this tax, and most people didn't fall into that exclusion category. There was obviously a few that did, but if you had that property that was two hectares or more, come July first, your property property got automatically rezoned into residential property. Whatever the valuation increased by, you had to pay, a, and this was of a hundred thousand dollar gain. Now that categorized every single property, every single farm property that went from, from farm zoning into res residential zoning, it hundred percent increased by, by a hundred thousand dollars. If I had a property that was uh, $5 million worth of value, it might've been like five hectares, let's say a million dollars per hectare. Now that it's residential zoning, bang, it's gone straight up to $15 million. That $10 million increase, I've got to pay a 50% upfront tax on that, irrespective irrespective of whether I sell the property or not. And because of that, or I mean, that's not the only reason, because of, you know, I feel like a lot of these policies, the government thinks like, oh, it's okay. Like we can just keep taxing and taxing and taxing and taxing based on all our prior shit policies we've put in place. And I'm like, Bro, do you guys even know what you're doing at this stage? Are you truly trying to just like completely tear apart the social fabric, completely tear apart the governmental structure of this of this country? Because I feel like that's what's happening. I feel like that's the direction, specifically from the Labor Party, but I feel like the Liberal Party has certainly participated in this as well. But I feel like that's the direction they're going. To what end? Look, I've got my feelings and I've talked about it a couple of times before on Twitter spaces. I feel like a lot of these policies that have been implemented specifically from the Labor Party, where they fuel this, this like wheel of immigration, this wheel of like socialism that's beginning to manifest itself into, into communism. Now, bear in mind, I have no issue with socialism. I think Australia is perfect or has been perfect for so long because we have a healthy balance of both capitalism and socialism. And I think for a prosperous society, you do need to have a, a healthy mix of both. But if you're just, if you're just fueling one particular wheel and trying to like take the gears out of the other wheel that just ultimately will lead into communism and it seems like this is the stretch that it has gone to because they've implemented policies over the last like three four years that have been to disenfranchise society that have been to suppress freedom of speech that has been to, to suppress freedom of expression and it's like where does it end and from what i've seen it doesn't seem like that wheel is stopping anytime soon it's like the labor government almost like they're sycophants that love to just fuel that like yes 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 we get keep creating social policies here and there let's introduce the voice referendum to parliament so we can you know create almost like a secondary micro constitution where there's a secondary mic or a third like micro government that exists and it's like what do you what's your ultimate goal is your ultimate goal truly to create like this communist government that has a bunch of different social groups that you can then like fuel economic policies into? So then you can like take clippings off of those little economic groups, those little social groups, because that's what Labor's always done. But now it feels like they don't even care that it's at face value. I feel like they don't even care that it's there, like for the world, when I say the world, like Australia to see. But there's people that are so ignorant to it or so whether willfully ignorant or just, you know, stupidly ignorant, 
that's irrespective. But I feel like there's a lot of people that are so ignorant to what's actually happening in our country that they just have this like delusional mindset that they think it's completely fine. And I'm like, mate, you're literally going to tear apart the fabric of Australia as we know it. Well, and it looks deliberate. It looks deliberate at this point, especially within Victoria. Oh, and 100%. the playbook doesn't seem to change with social Marxism. They oh. always go after the farmers first. Yeah. And when the farmers are gone, there's no one to actually man the fields and uh, develop the cattle and keep the food supply going. And that's where that's when people will definitely feel it. When people are cold, tired, and hungry, that's when shit hits the fan. And I think now we're getting to that stage where people are starting to get cold, tired, and hungry. Mate, energy bills, gas bills, going through the friggin' roof. And like, what's the, you know, you got Chris Bowen, like the minister for energy, like renewable energy and this and that. What's his whole spiel? Oh yeah, let's just create a bunch of like wind turbines, like these, I think they're called like the 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 V, the V, the Vatus, the Vatus wind turbines. I think that's the ones that we've implemented in South Australia and, and in New South Wales as well. I think in Victoria, we've implemented them as well. And it's like, these things literally run on, on fossil fuels to like actually start up. Yeah, yeah, some these- of them have dedicated um, <laughs> diesel generators on site to kick them over each time. Yeah, man, it's, 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 it's silly, you know? And like, you know, I read like a little bit about these wind turbines. It's like, you know, s- some of them, and maybe not specifically the Vetus ones because there's a few different models of them, but like a couple of these models, one, require diesel generators to kick on. Two, the the actual generator doesn't begin unless you've got like 35 kilometer winds because the, the because the, the actual, the actual, the actual um, fins of the, the wind turbines are so heavy that like just 20 kilometer winds don't do anything to them. Yeah, what, what's the them. average is three out of seven days of the week. It's actually generating power. Yeah. And I remember last year, dude, Last year, uh, between February into uh, what are we? Uh, from February through to like May, I was I, I travelled around Australia. I went I went from Melbourne to Canberra to Sydney to Dubbo to Broken Hill to Adelaide, up to Coobapedi, up to Uluru. I went halfway up to Darwin, then I turned tail and I went all the way back. And when I was going through, when I was going up the coast of New South Wales, I passed an area I can't. Even, no, sorry, no, it wasn't New South Wales. It was going from when I was going back from Broken Hill. I went down through to Mildura, which is on like the northwestern border of Victoria that separates like Victoria and New South Wales. Going into the Barossa Valley, which is like northeastern South Australia. And they had a bunch of like wind windmills set up along like the bay or up um, these huge lakes that were up there. And they had all these windmills or wind turbines, sorry, set up. None of them were on. None of them were turning. And I'm like, bro, there's like 50 of these things here and they're not working. How much money has got poured into that? Oh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. This is this is great economic policy with respect to renewable energy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so good that the companies that actually erect these these absolute eyesores they have to get paid money by the government per annum for these monstrosities. It's literally like a a, a, a tax cow or a a. Like some kind of a, an idol, which these big companies keep sucking the funds out of the Australian taxpayer from. And the more they put up, the more we pay. That's why our electricity bills keep on climbing. Yep. But I don't know what your take on this is. I never, ever thought that Australia would be in a position where we would have a very sizable population of working homeless. Like when I went to the United States, California's full of it. California has 
oodles of people living in their cars, but actively working. We're starting to see that in regional Victoria at the moment. For God's sakes, there's a tent city in my town. And oh, dead set. I, there's a tent city in my town and I'm in regional Victoria. So things are getting substantially bad very quickly. Oh, it's silly. Like, you know, one of the arguments, and, and it's and it's an absolutely fair argument, especially with these like renewable policies, is like, okay, you want to close down coal mines, you want to close down like generate like generators that like fuel themselves off of coal for providing energy. I get that, right? You want to move away from fossil fuels. There's no there's no world where we entirely move away from fossil fuels. I think that I think that idea of moving entirely away from fossil fuels where we become like like net zero is is impossible. Vaseline, my phone, this computer in front of me, my webcam, my car, the amount of products that is created out of the use of petroleum, irrespective of fuel, put the fuel aside, requires the use of what we, I guess we look at today of fossil fuels. I've got a couple of thoughts on what fossil fuels actually are because I can't imagine that like a bunch of dinosaurs got together one day and like all died. <laughs> Preach into the choir here, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's, mate, you know, it's interesting. That conversation uh, that I was talking about earlier that I had with these members of the Taliban, one of these guys who's, I don't know, I, I don't know, like his level in like the hierarchical structure of the Taliban, this and that, but he spoke very, very good English. He actually studied in the UK and then went back to Afghanistan. Um, you know what he said to me? He said, the whole idea of fossil fuels is the biggest LARP of the 21st century and he explained to me, he's got, and I ended up like having a look into it and this and that, at least from like a geological perspective. And he's right. He goes, how does anyone have this, how does anyone have this conceptual idea that a bunch of dinosaurs, like, like tens of millions of dinosaurs, probably even hundreds of millions of dinosaurs all got together in one place, all died at the same time, all fossilized at the same time, layers of dirt and soil layered on top of them all over time. And they all decayed in the same area and turned into a giant underground underground reservoir of like oil like that's it's miracle stacked on top of miracle when you have to think about that concept have you ever heard the 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 proposal around what fossil fuels are particularly oil that it's actually the a regenerating substance that's the lifeblood of the earth because there's been multiple uh oil rigs which supposedly tapped out which they've gone to 30 40 years later and they've found oil again like it's just refilled i haven't heard I've heard a really wild one. I haven't heard that one. That one seems very reasonable to me. At least I'm thinking about it in some sort of conceptual idea of how like the planet behaves, like at least below like the lithosphere and when we're going into like the sort of like layers of mantle. But this guy said to me, and admittedly, I, I don't hold I don't hold any 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 positive inclinations. This I don't believe this guy for any stretch of the imagination of what he said. It was interesting that he said it. He said that oil comes from fucking hell he said oil comes from another dimension that flows into flows into the earth's like crust and it comes from like other dimensions or what he's basically this is he sounds like the plot from ghostbusters too yeah i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) but you know i i do think it is a regenerative process like with with geology one of the interesting things about the planet is most of most of the conceptual ideas around how the planet behaves is pure theory pure speculation based out on like based off of like 
like microcosm sections of information that they then pull together and then build a thesis upon because no one's obviously been below the earth's like like crust like the lithium the upper layer the lithosphere that we all sit on top of no one's been below that so no one true look whether some people have whether some people believe in hollow earth theory stuff like that completely separate but like the idea that we know exactly how the earth works, the idea that like, you know, this, this fundamental idea of how that planet behaves below the earth's crust, it's all, it's not based on a pipe dream, of course, but it's all based on like a lot of hypotheticals. And, you know, one of the interesting things that came out in the last like five years in the sort of like uh, in, in, in geological studies is, is piezoelectricity and quartz crystals layer themselves in the earth's crust so the earth's crust comprises up some some estimates go up to like 66 percent of the earth's crust is made up of like um uh, quartz silicates and quartz being a piezoelectricity being a piezoelectric mineral meaning when quartz crystals undergo mechanical stress which can be from like physical pressure that can be vibrational pressure uh it generates an electrical field and generates an electrical discharge is that there's some geologists now that have proposed that the the earth's like ionosphere that like sort of sort of surrounds the earth and protects us from those harmful like uv rays is actually an aura that is created from the quartz crystals that are layered into into the earth's crust because you've got the essentially the the infinite immense pressure of the gravity pushing down onto the earth whilst you've got pressure from the inside pushing outwards so you've got this this double effect of mechanical stress that is pushing on the earth's crust and it's causing hundreds of thousands of millions of gigawatts of electricity to be permeated into this like continual continual sphere of some form of electricity that is protecting us from like radiation and this is only like sort of like new information that has come to light in the last like five ten years and there's some geologists that disagree with it there's some geologists that agree with it because it sort of it goes against the narrative in a lot of regards and i'm all for that i me personally i think i think some people need to like actually throw out wild claims on some things for some people to you know come along and look at it under a under a closer microscope but when we you know i know we've well, it's the problem with science though fuzzy science science changes one death at a time that's the unfortunate yeah. side of what the scientific method is something can be established and it stays established fact air quotes until the people who have established that fact die then people can challenge the ideas, can present new data, put up new hypotheses. Like what you were just talking about there, what sprung to mind for me was toroidal fields, toroidal fields coming from the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere from the poles. Yeah. That to me was just the image I got in my head of what the ionosphere is. Yeah. And it's, and I, and I think, I think there's like a, like a, like a sort of like a multi-layered whether you want to call it like a two prong attack, a three prong attack, whatever, there's obviously like multiple things that are happening. It's not just like one thing is causing this. I think there's like like a sort of you have to look at these things that are multifaceted approach, especially when you sort of look at like um when you look at like uh like macro scale macro scale uh climate, you know, one of the things, especially now, has this been this big thing about like climate change? Obviously, you know, it goes back into like the 60s and 70s. You know, you look back into like the 60s, there was this whole hypothesis that like the world's going to go into global cooling and we're going to go into another, like we're going to be plummeted into another ice age. I'm of the belief that that will happen. I'm absolutely of the belief that like 
I don't think the world's going to boil as a, as you know people like Antonio Guerrero Guerrero the, the 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 head of the head of the United Nations of the um like the energy and policy council and this and that even though he's only an electrical engineer but he seems to have this greater concept of you know every single aspect of environmentalism he seems to be like you know basically a walking encyclopedia even though everything he spouts is basically fucking nonsense and I think to myself like people especially when we look at governments implementing policies that are based off of like particular edicts that are put forward because it's all based on like not rudimentary science but like old science and obviously science always changes but when you've got books bro when you've got like when you've got a dog in the fight you want to keep that dog in the fight you don't want to lose that dog because if you lose that dog well you stop getting money in that hip pocket mate oh i can't go and buy my 10 million dollar yacht now oh you know woe is me and it's a problem. And I see, the, I see the problem beginning to manifest itself in Australia, very recently begin to manifest itself in Australia. You know, we don't have nuclear. Like, that baffles me that we don't have nuclear. And, you know, the, the, the only argument that the government has ever put forward to why we don't have nuclear is, oh, it's too expensive. So what? Oh, the waste. We'd have to do something with the waste. The waste that you oh. can actually turn into viable products, say, in the medical oh, industry. Yeah. And shielding shielding. MRI. Yep, yep. It's it's so stupid. It's so stupid. I'm like, bro, what's a trillion dollars? What's two trillion dollars to implement infrastructure for for massive amounts of nuclear energy? Yeah, that's just ask Dan. The Dan spends society. trillions of dollars on the drop of a hat. Like he loves oh, yeah, spending he money. Loves, oh yeah, but his his spending money is like just construction. He just wants to build roads and build tunnels and fuel CFMEU unions and just fuel this and fuel that. And I get it. We need infrastructure. No doubt, we need road and logistical infrastructure for a functioning, for a functioning economic or the functioning economics of the society. We do. We can't just like have dirt roads everywhere because nothing will ever get done. I get that, but like, you need to have a back. If you have a backing of energy, like if you have an abundance of energy, everything gets cheaper. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about just your your energy costs at home. I'm talking about the amount of costings that go into manufacturing. I'm talking the costing that like is then then put back onto the consumer at like Woolworths or Coles. You know, when I have an abundance of energy, it doesn't cost me as much money to 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 have dairy farms, to have chicken farms, to have sheep farms, to do textiles, to do manufacturing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm like, right. On top of that, Australia is smack bang in the middle of the Australasian plate. We're not subject to earthquakes. Yeah, okay, far north Queensland occasionally gets a hurricane or a cyclone, but it's not causing the ground to fucking do this and shake and cause like nuclear plants to just collapse and have meltdowns. We don't, we, we're not subject to those environments. We're actually like where Australia is topographically is like arguably the most blessed piece of land on the planet because we're so far separated from the, from from the external boundaries of that continental plate as opposed to places like Libya and Turkey you know like i don't know whether there was some sort of harp device that was involved in the earthquakes in Turkey i know some people have told me this and t- told me that but i also know that where like Turkey and Syria are are literally on where especially where these earthquakes took place is right smack bang on the on, on the continental boundary so i go okay well I need to see some physical evidence of some sort of device that is causing like massive amounts of vibration to such a degree that's actually shaking the land and like causing houses to collapse and like splitting the ground. If you can show me a device that does that, 
I'm all on board, but I don't think humans have the capability of creating such a device that is able to essentially shake the very foundations of a continental plate. I think a lot of people forget like how big continental plates are in comparison to how small humans are. Like we are great at creating technology, no doubt, but show me a device that's capable of like quite literally causing uh, two continental plates to separate and to literally do this and have this like seesaw effect where they bow and the land separates. I've never seen a device like that, me personally. But going back to Australia, you know, when we talk about nuclear now, and I've seen it very recently on the Q&A with, with you know, the, the, the most intelligent person, Mr. Chris Bowen, he's rattling on about um, small modular reactors. Oh, you know, and then he's, he's pointing the finger at the Liberal Party for some, some strange reason. Oh, it's going to cost us $387 billion for 70 small modular reactors. And I'm like, small modular reactors? Mate, these things only put out 50 megawatts each. Like 50 megawatts sounds like a lot of power, but in comparison to how much energy society uses now, in comparison to 150 years ago, we're in the gigawatts, bro. We're in the gigawatts. And you're going, what? We're going to do $387 billion on 70 small modular reactors that are going to be all for naught, that are going to have to literally be dismantled after 10 years because they don't have the infrastructure, like the, the actual modular reactors don't have the infrastructure for like almost self-sustainability. Like they have to be consistently maintained, which is obviously which is obviously like a big perk for the Labor Party because then they get to get the unions involved and they get to get like maintenance and construction involved and they get to have like, you know, the technical side where people consistently go out and maintain, maintain and maintain and continually fuel that like aspect. More of, jobs for the boys. More jobs for the boys, Bo. Johnny Sector's out there like, fuck <laughs> yeah, let's do it. But like, we've got the ability to create, we've got the ability to create molten salt reactors that put out 11,000 gigawatts of energy. Now, admittedly, they cost a lot more, but so what? What's the big deal in spending? We, we've, we've put so much money into these stupid policies over the last like 15, 20 years for things that have been all for naught. Why the hell doesn't the government have some sort of bipartisan agreement between Liberal, Labor, Nationals, Greens, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party, Clive Palmer's United Australia Party and all the other microcosm parties and get together and go, why the hell aren't we implementing the next generation of nuclear energy that we can have $1 electricity bills where no one has to be fumbling around and scrounging where they've got to work their asses off, live out a car, live out of a car, just they've got some money in their pocket. Because at the end of the day, if you have an abundance of energy, you pull everyone out of poverty. You pull everyone out of poverty. And when you pull everyone out of poverty, you've got more workforce. That, that workforce thing can then be put into things where we can begin to develop other technological marvels even further, whether that is build up our infrastructure of like battery storage, whether that is build up our infrastructure of like roads and logistics across the entire, I'm considering Australia to be a continent personally, because it's massive landmass, but whether that is create new train lines that like, you know, go from point A, like from Melbourne to Perth, whether that is create hyperloops and stuff like that. If you have all this energy, we've got an abundance of it, Mate, the world's your oyster. It's the only Literally, way to the do it. Oyster. Australia, it in is. comparison to other countries, is just drastically underdeveloped in comparison to other Western nations. Yeah, we're hugging the coastlines. Yeah, the interior hasn't really been developed all that well. But with an abundance of energy, 
you could develop the center. Look what Saudi Arabia does in the middle of the goddamn oh, desert. Mate. We have that much potential at our disposal in this country. Just going back to the conversation about energy, there's a bit of a canary in the coal mine that I'm seeing in a local area here. Fonterra, other big milk companies that have got contracts with the dairy farmers, they're actively going out, approaching these farmers saying, we're going to pay for an industrial-sized diesel generator on your property to cover you when the when the energy system goes down. Because they know that we are facing brownouts and potential blackouts in the coming years. They are offering to pay upfront commercial industrial-sized diesel generators for de- for dairy farms to make sure that they're all hunky-dory if it ever goes down. How are these things going to operate if we're closing down all our coal mines? Are we going to be taking the oil from overseas? Are we just going to be importing the oil? Well, they like spending money, don't they? But that should be a massive concern that private industry sees what's on the horizon and is trying to cover its ass. Well, that's that's a that's a real big issue. Look, the dairy thing, I, I I know this is the first I'm hearing of a person. I didn't even know that was a thing. But that's shocking in its own right. But what's more shocking to me is how we have privatized certain aspects of infrastructure. In my personal opinion, I think government needs to look after. I think I think energy and logistical infrastructure, the internet infrastructure, all needs to be run, like water infrastructure, gas infrastructure, electricity infrastructure, train logistical infrastructure, all needs to be operated by the government. I'm all for small government, but that small government needs to have this interlaid effect where they maintain maintain the ability for capitalism to thrive. Because in order for it to thrive... It needs to have this 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 consistency of maintenance. It needs to have this consistency of stable, steady infrastructure. Like, look what happened with the NBN. Tony Abbott came along, set up these plans for the NBN. I mean, look, there were some interlaid plans before Tony Abbott, but he was the one that sort of like finalised the initial plans where we were going to have internet across the entire country that was going to rival South Korea. And then... He got, I don't know how it all happened from the political side of things because there was people coming in and out. Julia Gillard came in and out. All these people came in and out quick as anything. But I remember Malcolm Turnbull came in within the two weeks that Malcolm Turnbull came into came into leadership, into a leadership position. Those NBM plans got completely torn up, redone, where it was going from you'd have optic fiber layering into copper wire back into optic fiber back into copper wire back into optic fiber optic fiber back into copper wire and i'm like bro why oh and then i found find out a week later that some individual politician that i may have just mentioned has uh, vested interests in foxtel this is in the time when netflix was rising up in australia along with amazon prime and you know prior to that who was using cable tv who was the biggest cable tv provider well it was te- it was foxtel Foxtel was independent. And then in the same time frame, Telstra bought Foxtel because Foxtel had basically completely declined in terms of its user base. And someone's hip pocket, once again, someone's hip pocket was getting affected. You know, and it, it, it really makes me concerned that a lot of these politicians think they can get away with this bullshit. And for the most part, they have been getting away with this bullshit. And it, it, it frustrates me because there's nothing I, like me myself can do about it. And I guess, you know, going back to our original conversation about Twitter, this is the beauty of how Twitter has manifested itself where people are getting together and are discussing these issues that are beginning to present themselves and exist in society. I'm all for nuclear, bro. I want to have, I want to have 
50, 50 molten salt reactors laid across Australia, around the coastal regions that power all the major cities. And I want all that like uh, depleted uranium rods to then be either used into traveling wave reactors, which are essentially smaller reactors that use the depleted uranium, like it u- uses the depleted uranium of U238, I believe it is, that completely suck out the rest of the energy out of these, these depleted uranium rods because there is some energy that is left in them. And then whatever's remaining, yeah, put it into shielding for MRI machines that has basically been used for the last like 20 years across the entire planet. Put it into ballasts for the weight, the counterbalances for construction, you know, which is in, which is perfect, obviously, for Australia because the Labor Party loves their construction boom so much. And then on top of that, it also goes into military armaments. Oh, you know, we're creating submarines in Northern Territory or wherever the hell we're creating these nuclear subs. Well, what are you going to use for the plating? What are you going to use for the plating? Oh, well, you're going to use depleted, you're going to use depleted uranium rods and interlay that into some like lead plates that you're going to then like layer on to a submarine. Well, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you take this like two pronged approach where you create the ability to have huge amounts of energy and any of that waste that is then created as a byproduct to use that for other products being MRI machines, counterbalances for ballast, use that for military armaments, use that for plating, use that for the foundations for more construction. So the actual, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? The, um, uh, you know, oh God, the, 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 the word begets me now it's the the foundations the actual like concrete slab foundations they interlay like they interlay like steel bars that go through those concrete foundations bro in other countries in dubai they're literally using depleted uranium like rods as like as as the sort of uh uh stabilizing agents yeah the Mm -hmm. rebar they're using that literally laid into massive foundations for huge buildings to create those enormous towers so like why don't we do all this What's the problem in Australia? The the problem is politicians, and you nailed it at the start when you said they're doing it in their own vested interests. If it was all about logical problem-solving approaches, all the things we've discussed today would have happened. Prime example, Dan Andrews bringing back the SEC. SEC built around renewables. Don't you find it just the slightest bit odd that he puts a a blanket ban on all brand-new gas houses and government buildings as of February next year? What's he doing there? He's decimating his competitor. He's removing gas from a major part of this state. The gas companies will not have any more growth from here on out. Yeah. And 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 do, in doing that, that process in order to do that, all that's doing is increasing increasing energy costs. Of course it is. Which is just fucking people in the end. Like, what do you think? By the end, what do you think? By once once the SEC has complete dominance over the energy sector in Victoria, that people aren't going to be like broke, that people aren't going to be bankrupt, that they're not going to be selling their houses because they can't afford their mortgages anymore because gas and energy and electricity prices have completely gone so far off the mark that people like cannot even buy houses anymore. Like what and this harkens back to what I was saying earlier. Like, what is the end? What is the end result of this? Like, what is your end goal in all of this? Is it to is it to is it to sort of like pull every all resources back into government? Because if that is the way, like, then you guys shouldn't have done it in the first place. You guys should not have privatized shit in the first place. You know, in Victoria, we've got the East Link, mate. The East Link has paid itself fifty times over. But because we made it private, it still charges. And it charges like $18 like for a whole trip. Mate, people take that every single day. 
they make they make billions of dollars off of like one particular well it's not considered to be a freeway obviously but like it it just baffles me that the policies that are interlaid through government has be, has been to such a degree that it has not benefited society in many respects in some respects it has yeah like i think in our medical sector like that's a prime example of where tax money has gone into, which is really, really good. I know people argue, oh, but the queue times, oh, but the queue times in the public sector. Well, of course, if you make our public, if you make our public health system that good, more people are going to lean into using the public sector as opposed to the private sector. So the queues are going to be longer. I get that. But at the same footnote, if you're doing things like privatizing energy and gas and then trying to take it back like fucking 20 years later, the, Bro, you're just going to fuck people. It's and that seems to be what's happening now. Can can you imagine what's going to happen with Vic Roads over the next 10, 20 years? Half of it was sold off. At least they didn't sell the whole goddamn thing. But half of it's been sold off, and the state's roads are in the worst condition they've ever been. They're so shit. It's almost as if he he sold half of it off because he knew that the levels of of disrepair they were in, and he wanted to scapegoat further down the line. Yeah, yeah. And I have a suspicion now. I've never looked into. I've never looked into this. I don't even know if I'd be able to find any information on this without having to put in like an FOI request or a Freedom of Information Act request. But I have a suspicion that the actual quality of the bitumen that is laid has just degraded over time. It started off as really good once upon a time. Now there's probably there could be an argument to be made. We have more trucks on the road now than we used to have. That could de- that could definitely be a strong argument to be made. But I have a strange suspicion that the actual quality of like bitumen, the quality that has been laid across roads over the last like two decades has completely declined. Because if that declines, then you get to fuel a whole other a whole other section. Uh, what's the term I'm looking for? You get to fuel a whole other industry of maintenance where you're constantly sending out the boys to basically patch up roads. And what are you going to do, bro? You can't just keep putting Band-Aids on the roads and hope it fixes them overnight because it doesn't. Mate, yeah, anyway. that's what that's what local councils do all the time. They have their end of year budget they have to spend it by. So you'll see they'll randomly cut up sections of road that was not in good condition, which was perfectly fine, and relay it. It happens all the time, and it's definitely not the level that it would have been in the past because they seem like very quick jobs that are done in such a quick turnover. Oh, they absolutely are, man. You know, and I, I just. <sighs> I think it just frustrates me more than anything. And it's, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad Twitter, sorry, I'm glad X is in the way it is now where people are like beginning to voice their concerns. And it seems like those like Twitter spaces, sorry, X spaces are beginning to like actually grow and grow and grow and become bigger and bigger and bigger as more people like, you know, sort of turn away from Facebook. Like me personally, I think Facebook and threads specifically revolving around threads, but Facebook itself I, I don't think most people are actually like legitimate human beings on Facebook. I think most people are bots, unless you're looking at like Facebook marketplace. I think most people that are like commenting on posts and posting stuff up and this and that, I think most of them are bots to be completely honest with you. Like I've got no evidence to back this up, but like I've seen a lot of shady shit over the last like 12 to 24 months that has given me this sort of inclination that the social media sphere isn't full of like legitimate human beings. I think a lot of it is actually just bots. Well, I can, I can attest to that. There's a few tales, especially with Instagram. That's my major platform for sharing um, information about this podcast. Twitter's new for me. So I'll look at Twitter and I'll have to do a daily purge of people who add me because I look at them. They have 
five, they're following five to 600 people. They have yeah. no followers themselves and no posts. Definite bots. You look at their traffic and their history of what they're commenting on. They'll target one specific person and they will comment on every single reply they've gotten in a thread. Yeah. It just looks like the algorithm's taken hold. And then one of the things that I've seen recently, and I know I've talked about it on Twitter spaces before, is um is is particular accounts that have been almost like propped up to such a degree where they've gone from 8,000 followers four months ago to 200,000 followers four months later and other accounts that were 3,000 followers a month and a half ago and now are also at like basically 200,000 followers. And I go, where are these, where are these people coming from? This can't be like legitimate accounts. You're talking, you're talking about thousands and thousands of percents, 2,000, 3,000% of growth in such a short amount of time. I go, where are all these Aussies? Where are all these Aussies coming from? Like, I'm all for Aussies coming on to X. I'm all for them coming in and like voicing their like concerns. But a lot of them are just, a lot of them just seem like they're not real people. A lot, like in terms of like seeing some of the comments that go into these, into these posts, into these threads, they seem to be of a very robotic nature. And on top of that, they never join, they never join Twitter spaces. And I go, okay, I don't know. I'm of the belief now, if you don't join Twitter spaces to like actually like use your voice, like your actual voice and like have a conversation, you're not a legitimate human being. Like you're just, you're just a bot. Like there's, you know, the, the accounts that I'd mentioned, I I don't even care to say this. So the two accounts that I'd mentioned, one of them, which is well renowned amongst like the sort of like left leaning community in Victoria is PR guy. And the other one. That just screams it's a government op for sure. Oh, mate. I had a look into in Victoria and I know I know that these programs exist in other states, but the Victorian one is especially interesting. Is it's called Vic Screen and it's a it's a it's a government funded grant for media. And what it essentially does is it provides at a minimum five hundred thousand dollars upwards towards millions and millions and millions of dollars in government funding to promote media. But that media is not just on the television. It's not just on radio. It's also in the social media sphere. And when you go and read into the intricate details of the nature of these of the nature of these policies that the Victorian government has outlaid, it opens up the idea because it's not very specific. Because you know, government, you know, like politicians, they love to use a lot of like broad term jargon to sort of like cover all bases. It even it even allows the propagation of purchasing bots to fuel media to fuel what i now see is like propaganda now whether it is propaganda or not some people would argue it's not when i see everyone from the nature of like a left-leaning political sphere promote the same thing day in day out whether that is the yes vote it's about reconciliation it's about this it's about that when i see that consistently pushed across across the social sphere in some form of like narrative style behavior, I think to myself, mate, these these grants are fueling propaganda to the highest order and no one has a clue that these things are happening. And most people that jump online, that they see, you know, if I'm a first time X user 
if I've like a mate of mine said, oh yeah, you know, like I could be like a left person, a right person, whatever kind of person. I go, you know, oh mate, you should get on like X is blowing up now. There's heaps of Aussies, this and that. Fuck Facebook, fuck Instagram, get on fucking Twitter, mate. And then I go on and I see PR guy and he's got 250,000 followers. I'm going to automatically assume, oh, there's a lot of people that like think this person's like legitimate, like their, their views are of, of a legitimate nature. They're not biased. They're not... They're not, uh, sorry, they're not unbiased. They're not, um, you know, they're not fueling a particular narrative. This is like a legitimate person that is, that is, that is fueling, a, you know, a, a, a holistic, a holistic idea for a better society. But then other people have seen these accounts for years and they're just like, bro, this is just a, this is just a propaganda machine. This is just a shill. This is all it is. I don't even know if the person that behind it is one person, four people, 10 people, all participating in this account, whether it's nine to five midnight till midnight till you know 12 in the afternoon 24 cycle whatever it might be i've seen this consistent propagation of a spun narrative that is that is there for everyone to see and a lot of people think it's legitimate well i don't think a lot of people think it's legitimate i think it's almost like almost it's like a 50 50 at this stage where there's people that genuinely just think these are bots as opposed to other people that just think like this is a real person well this makes a lot of sense because there's quite a few australian podcasts and i've always been kind of cautious about australian podcasts just because you know i've got this weird idea of listening to australians just seems weird because we're so saturated american media like all the people I interact with in these types of spaces are American or British podcasters. Yeah. So there's a few that go around within Australia that are definitely on the left-leaning side of things. They have a stupidly high number of followers. Their ratings are quite low. Their daily watches are quite low. Mm-hmm. But they seem to be working exclusively as a podcast for their income which seems so far out of the realm of possibility. The only people you see making decent income off podcasts are the likes of a Joe Rogan or a Tim Dillon, people that actually have some skin in the game. To have some random guy from Coburg or in the city Melbourne talking about left-wing policies by himself, not without, not with any guests at all, and have over 200,000 followers just does not seem genuine to me. Oh, you're absolutely right, man. And uh, I... <clears throat> I just think I just think now it's just like government funded grants that just like promote one one style, one narrative of one narrative politics. And you know what's really interesting about the big screen? So I made a business plan. So in in uh fifteen days I'm I'm going to India to travel around for a few months and you know, experience culture. I'm gonna do some charity work and a few other things. But <clears throat> I wanted to like prolong my stay and I thought, how do I go about that? And I called the um I called the Department of uh, the Department of Australia Trade Relations because they offer like international grants and this and that. And I had a conversation with a lady about about like how to sort of get some sort of funding in the sort of media sphere for whether that's journalism, vlogging, et cetera, et cetera. And she pointed me in the direction of the screen. And I read through the policies and I read through the framework. I'm like, okay, well, there were some things that we've you know, just discussed before that were sort of a great concern to me. I thought, okay, well, I can still participate in this. I can still get some funding and, you know, not be part of this like political sphere. Just like, you know, try to propagate like a, a, a good, holistic, wholesome aspect of media. So I made a business plan. I made a very extensive business plan. 
<clears throat> I went to create the application. I put in the application. Three weeks later, I get a phone call from a lady named Samantha. And she was very lovely on the phone and she asked me a question because I didn't provide it on the application. She said, do you have a media credit? And I said, I don't know what a media credit is. And she explained to me that what a media credit is, is you can only be accepted on this Vic Screen grant is if you know someone that already exists within the mainstream media frame, being like Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel 7, ABC, SBS, that already creates media that is either a screenwriter or a director because you need an approval from them in order to get the grant. So there's like... There's, there's something there in place that stops a vast swath of people from applying for this grant where it allows a select few elites to take advantage of this grant and then their friends or their colleagues or their family members. And I go, man, like that is very dangerous footing. That's very dangerous footing that like people want to play on. Yeah, what do we end up with? We end up with journalists or CEOs of the ABC and their kids who want to go for a year-long travel around the world get $500,000 in their bank account to fund them and they do a couple of posts each day. Yeah, yeah. And as long as it's hitting the talking points they need. Oh, 100%, 100%. Oh, yeah. And the framework is funny, yeah, because I basically took I took the entire policy, like the, the Vic screen, the entire policy, I put it into chat GPT and I, I, I put some parameters around it. I said, I want to create a business model. This is the outlay of what I want to do for the business model. But I want to target all these specific points because there was a lot of things about inclusivity. There was things about, there was actually things about Indigenous and Aboriginal, like welcome to country stuff and this. Now I'm like, this has nothing to do with what I want to do. But like, I need to, I need to add this into the, I need to add this into the fold. So like the bot or the algorithm essentially created this thing of a correlation between like, um hindu mythos and um and aboriginal mythology to like draw like parallels and correlations in order for me to get the grant or be able to apply for the grant so i did all of that and the the lady samantha she actually really liked my business idea she fucking loved it but i was completely hindered by this media credit and there was another there was another exclusion as well if i couldn't provide a media credit i had to get a letter of recommendation from the state government like what am i going to do who am i sending a letter to victoria fielding you think she's going to give me a fucking letter no 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 no. <laughs> like it's yeah there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of wish-washy behavior with with the state and federal governments and i don't know it's just where does it end man like where's it going like what's what's the end goal bro i i, I don't know i mean i feel the end goal is to create a republic like i think and it's just from some of the things that I've had. I know you had um, Lyra on recently, and you know, like I've spent time on Spaces, and Lyra's she's amazing. Like she's highly intelligent when it comes to these policies because she's a First Nations person. She has access to a whole section of information that the vast swath of Australian society don't have access to. And when I've had conversations with her about it, all I'm drawing in my head is this voice to Parliament is just a almost like a catalyst to begin separating Australia from the Commonwealth. Now, a part of me is for that, and a part of me is for that because I think the idea of the British Commonwealth is like something of the past. Like, and it's ironic. Obviously, I've got like a flag in my back, and I've got the Union Jack on it. Yeah, I see. I saw the need for the longest time for the Commonwealth to exist in Australia to essentially lay out our foundations, lay our roots, so we have a prosperous society for everyone, irrespective of walks of life. 
But if this sort of like voice to parliament is a way to or to behave in such a way as a catalyst to separate us from the Commonwealth, where we become a republic, I'm all for it. As long as that republic doesn't manifest itself into a People's Republic of Australia with a Chinese communist authority framework. And I feel that that's the direction it's going because we know your boy, your boy Andrews. Oh, mate, he loves to take his yearly trips to China. He came back from China like what two months ago, less than two months ago, and within like three days of him coming back, there was some legislative, there was some legislative framework that was put into the state government where the where the the, the premier does not need to disclose the details of his trip. And I'm going, why not? It's not like he paid if he paid for that trip out of his pocket. Yeah, fair enough. Tell me to get fucked. But if all the taxpayers are paying for that trip, which they are, mate, I should have the right to know. The Joe Blow, Susan over here should have the right to know the details of that trip. Every intricate detail, behind closed doors or otherwise. If he went to go and see a cool little site somewhere in China and take some photos and this and that, I have the right to see that. If he went behind closed doors with Xi Jinping and have a long, extensive conversation about economic policy, I have a right to know that. As, a, as, a, as an Australian taxpayer, I have the right to know that. No. But oh no 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 no! I'm not, I'm not intelligent enough. I don't have the ability to decipher that information and come to my own conclusion about what you're doing, and it's it's a problem. It's it's probably more the case of we're too intelligent and we will make them accountable for the choices that they make. Now here's a scary thought process: Imagine Australia does become a republic, and our very first elected president is Dan Andrews. We're done for. We're done for. The, the 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 island of Australia is going to sink into the ocean. We're all going to end up like we're on a fucking we're on the movie on Titanic. We're all got floaty devices trying to like navigate our way through the water, like. And it's oh man, it's so sad. Like I voted for the guy. I voted for the guy because my brother, my brother is in demolition. He works for a demolition company that's 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 part of the CFMEU union. So I got to sort of see an aspect of that side of construction. I got to see an aspect of that side with politics. And I'm like, fuck yeah, fuel the unions, this and that. Like, you know, he gets, you know, you pay your, you pay your yearly fee and you get these, like, you get all this like material that's sent to your house. One of those materials that he consistently gets is posters. One of those posters being of a big cobra that says, uh, what would it say? Um, will strike if provoked. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, talk about the propaganda wheel, my friend. And they love it. But you know, like when we talked about the co- when we talked about the COVID mandates, you know, you brought up about the construction, how like because the construction industry was a super spreader industry, even though everyone's outside, it's a super spreader industry. You know, remember the protests outside the CFMEU building? Turns out six thousand estimates of six thousand construction workers quit because they didn't want to take the jab. Apparently, some bloke that same day jumped off a building. I've never found anything across it. I've had a few people um, talk about it in Twitter spaces before. I heard some stuff that sort of transpired, uh, like sort of within that week after that protest that took place. <clears throat> but then you got people like, you know, John Sector, who's supposed to uphold and adhere to adhere to the sort of like freedom of freedom of liberty when it comes to the nature of the labor force because oh, obviously the touch one touch all analogy which he didn't correct. really back yeah and he didn't back it at all and i'm like why didn't you back it oh you didn't back it because you're getting something out of it you have to be getting something out of it. if you weren't getting something out of it and you backed it i just chalk it up to just like you're just a bit ignorant but the fact that the fact that you did this 
knowing the position that you're in, knowing the contacts that you have. Oh, oh and what do you play? What they play this game? Daniel Andrews played this game of like, I've never had one-on-one conversations with John Sector. Get the fuck out of here, mate. Don't give me that shit. The stories I've been told from union members, oh, you want to go into what happened with his broken ribs and his 12 broken ribs and his fractured spine falling down two steps at Mornington Peninsula? Mate, I don't want to talk about in this space because we might get get the fucking AFP knocking on our doors. But, (laughs) like, there is some fishy business that went on with that whole situation. And it's just... Yeah, you don't fall down a slippery set of two steps and then end up with like life-threatening broken ribs and all kinds of back issues, do you? I can tell you one part. I can tell you one part of this, and let's see if that gets your taste buds going on. (laughs) (laughs) I know through an acquaintance a nurse that worked on his ward, and I believe this woman wholeheartedly that every person on that ward was told explicitly a program has been put on our system. If you are found to click on and look at his file, you'll lose your job instantly. We'll know who you are. So much to the point where if you go to click on to where the file is, it says you are not verified to access this file. Only his doctor and one nurse were allowed to access that file at any given time. But it's okay that like, it's okay that like, it's okay that the federal government has access to everyone else's medical records, but not like a state premier. No, like no. yeah, okay. No, no, yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about equality. Yeah, no dramas, bro. Like, it's just, oh man, it's just a lot of like pot. What is it? Pot calling the kettle black. Like, just a lot of hypocrisy, and it's just so prevalent now from state and federal governments. It's just, it's just manifested itself into such a way. And I know I've I've, I've said it before. Like now, I just look at the Liberal and Labor Party, bro. It's like Labor Liberal Labor Coalition fooling citizens into a game of opposition, and it's just like it's just the whole COVID situation was like the a perfect case of it, a perfect case of it, you know, <clears throat> liberal government, Scott Morrison. Oh yeah. We, you know, Oh, we're just going to let these things happen. They played this game of like, we've got no control over the States. Get fucked. You don't have control over the States, mate. And if you don't have control over the States, why don't you have control over the States? Oh, that's because of our, like our constitutional rights and this and that, like, you know, I've spoken with a couple of people and <clears throat> about <clears throat> the Australian constitution and this bloke that I had a conversation with once, this was this was late 2021. This was this was after those after those Flagstaff Gardens protests. Was that? Uh, and I haven't been able to find. I've had a look, and there was a couple of things that made me question a couple of things with like the true nature of our constitution. But apparently, after World War Two, there was a constitutional amendment in 1950. 52, I think it was, or 1953, that stopped government intervention of uh, medical procedures on society. So the government wasn't allowed to enforce medical procedures on society because obviously coming out of 1943, 1944, with the whole issue of, you know, the whole issue with like you know, Jews being put under the knife and being put into chamber gas chambers and this and that. Yeah, so old Mengele would put a sour taste in everyone's mouth when it came to scientific experiments. <laughs> so the government's like, oh, well, we can't do this. We can't, you know, we need to make sure that, like, we're never going to participate in this for the future. <clears throat> but according to this bloke that I had a chat with, that only applies to federal government members and citizens living on federal government land. It doesn't actually apply to state citizens and people living on state land. 
And I'm going, are you serious? He's like, yeah, mate, this is why these COVID mandates have become so prevalent across the states because the only people that are not subject to it are people living in Canberra or federal government members. And I remember seeing Pauline Hanson go out to, I, I don't know if she was in the Northern Territory. I don't know if she was in New South Wales when she did this. She went to a, she went to a rally and she talked about, it. she's like, everyone here is vaccinated except me. And you know why I'm not vaccinated? Because federal government members are exempt from these things. And then she went into like sort of brief details about it. And I've gone, bro, that's crazy. Yeah, and also me. backs that the defense force didn't have a mandate because they are considered federal employees. Yeah. It's, it just makes me wonder like what world we live in. And when I say world, I obviously just mean like specifically Australia in this context, but it just makes me wonder like what world we live in where like these things are allowed to propagate themselves without any, without any criticism, without any like slaps across the face, like the slaps across the face being like this metaphorical term I'm using for essentially like, you know, critiquing the government in all its forms with specific rhetoric, with specific policies and it's just, you know, I'm just going to harken back to like, what is the end goal? Like, how far do you want to draw this line? Like, you seriously are going to be implementing policies over the next four to eight years. They're going to be suppress freedom of freedom of individualism, freedom of expression, freedom of human speech to such a degree. You think there's not going to be pushback, mate? Aussies don't fuck around with these things. Like, whilst we might be pretty politically docile for the most part, like, up until recently, and this goes back to this sort of conversation about how, like, when Donald Trump came into office, I begin to see this, like, almost like this political charge manifest itself in Australia. But despite the political compass side of things, Aussies don't like to be fucked around. I mean, I'd like to think most humans don't like to be fucked around, but I've seen specifically with Aussies, we don't like to be taken for a ride. And when we're taken for a ride, we genuinely we genuinely voice our concerns. Like, take the Cronulla riots, for example, back in the 2000s. That was a fucking shit show from the New South Wales government, right? You had in huge amounts of immigration policy from the Lebanese community coming in, which I've got no issue with. But the problem was, and this goes back to a previous conversation we had about like how many you let in in such a short amount of time, you're bringing people from all walks of life that have different aspects of morality and ethics, right? To such a degree that you're bringing in people that have no issue with sleeping or having sex, sexual relations with people that are under the age of 18. And when you implement those policies or when you implement those immigration policies and you fuel them into areas like the northern beaches, where for the most part, you've had a big dominance of like the Anglosphere of, of, of Australia in those areas. And now all of a sudden you've got a huge swath of Lebanese Muslims coming in. What happens? Well, first it was like, and this wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back, but obviously like, you know, um, the, the, the labor costs were cheaper. So more Lebanese migrants were getting jobs as opposed to, you know, the Anglosphere, which in some respect, I can see why there's some problems, but the straw that broke the camel's back was there was like a 15 year old girl that was raped in the Northern beaches. The local police did nothing about it. They did absolutely nothing about it because there was some, uh, what was it? It was, uh, policies around it was discrimination policy some discrimination policies had been changed in new south wales like a couple of years prior and when all this stuff happened and this like 15 year old girl was raped in my personal opinion that was the straw that broke the camel's back and before you know it you've got 2000 plus people 
brawling on the streets of Cronulla, right on the beach, punching. People are getting stabbed. People are having bones broken. The whole works. I'm like, mate, the New South Wales government just let this stuff happen. Like, they just let it happen. And then just like, oh, yeah, we'll just throw a blanket on it and just like try and forget about it. But like, the, you know, those discrimination policies are still in still in effect. Yeah, no dramas, bro. Like, no, nah, that won't happen again, mate. We learnt our lesson. No, 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 no dramas. We're, we're not just... even learning from international precedents. Those same policies exist in the United Kingdom, which allowed Middle Eastern rape gangs to operate oh. uncontested. Oh, not even just the Middle Eastern rape gangs, bro. Even the Pakistani Muslim rape gangs as well. They call them grooming gangs, which are... In which are in Canada as well, I don't know if they're. I don't think they're prevalent in Australia, as far as I'm aware. I mean, there might be like small, you know, small events that take place that involves like an individual person, but in terms of like actual group mentality where everyone gets together and goes, "We're going to do this," that's become very prevalent in the UK. It's become very prevalent in Canada and in France, and you know, <clears throat> it's. It's uh, really prevalent in India as well, in the southern state of Kerala. Like what they do, and it's it's fucking abhorrent. And look, I'm not knocking the Islamic community because I've got friends that are Muslim that are completely genuine, wholesome human beings and want the best for everyone. But then you've got extremists, and extremism exists in all forms. There's Christian extremists, there's Hindu extremists, there's Islamic extremists, there's extremists from everywhere. And some people take it to another line. And in Kerala, it's interesting. They have this these grooming gangs where you've got um, Islamic men and women that go out and find non is like basically Hindus or Christians. Um, there's even a small microcosm of like Zoroastrianisms or Zoroastrians. And there's a small microcosm of like Jews and this and that that exist in Kerala. But what they do is they go out and they find these individuals who are not Muslim. They coerce them through what is called in Islamic scriptures, takya, which is this idea of um, manipulating the environment out around you to essentially propagate this idea to the masses that you are of you are of the same you are of the same clan you're of the same creed so it could be someone pretending to be a christian it could be someone pretending to be a hindu when they're actually not and what happens is they get these people who are considered to be like i think the term is kafirs and they put them into these boxes where they get them addicted onto amphetamines and they get them addicted onto amphetamines they rape them they coerce them they take video footage of them photo footage of them you know, some of the women, some of the men get coerced in such a degree that they end up taking planes from uh, Sri Lanka to go to like Syria to basically be like slaves or to be, you know, um, uh, whether that's sex slaves, whether that's like labor slaves, like these holes go deep. And when you don't have a framework in a country that's considered to be a first world nation that upholds sort of a quasi Christian Western, you know, m- sort of framework of morals and ethics which arguably arguably the west has or you know became like the west whether that's america whether that's australia new zealand canada the uk france all of like western europe we have built up our societal framework off of the back of like a christian framework of morals and ethics i don't think you're going to find many people that disagree with that you might have a couple like throw out like some sort of like you probably have a couple of atheists that will disagree with it, but like I think atheists are just like idiots personally, in my personal opinion. Not in all regards, but like if you just say you're a staunch atheist, not even not even like a, what do they call them? Like you're an atheist, but like you think there is a divine, but you're not Agnostic. sure. 
that's the one agnostic <clears throat> atheist i think like agnostic atheists are like just finding their own parts but for people that are genuinely atheists i just go like mate these things can't exist if you have a specific if you if your society has molded itself and shaped itself over thousands of years that has built itself up on a christian framework and all of a sudden you start bringing in different aspects of framework from different countries that don't adhere to those same levels of moralities and ethics problems begin to present themselves very very quickly and very quickly doesn't mean overnight shift, but you're talking within a generation. And when those problems present themselves within a generation, you really start to see that fabric of society tear itself apart. And I think that's what's happening. And it's not specifically related to immigration policies. I think immigration policies in Australia are definitely lackluster, especially when we see like Queensland bringing in 2 million people by you know 2030 or 2040. But irrespective, that's a huge amount of people to come into a state it really it really begins to show its teeth and it really begins to it really begins to warp that societal fabric uh, that societal framework or that societal fabric to such a degree that the problems that exhibit themselves begin to present themselves in the economic sector begin to present themselves in the spiritual and the the religious sector and it begins to propagate themselves even in the financial sector as well you know like islamic banking is is legal in australia why is Islamic banking legal in Australia? They, they don't pay tax in Islamic banking. They don't pay interest in Islamic banking. But like I as a non-Muslim can't get Islamic banking. But now I'm subject to the standards of the UK banking system where I've got to pay interest. But the same, the same federal government or the same Commonwealth government that allows Islamic banking over here essentially is separating the banking systems where you're popping people into these individuals and some people are benefiting it from it and some people aren't benefiting it from it. And that, in my personal opinion, is, you know, some of these little problems that has existed or has begun to present themselves in society. Now, to what degree, oh, sorry, not to what degree. So where they end up is like sort of anyone's bet. But I, I have on stra- I have a strange suspicion that it is not going to be in the best interest and the benefit of of the Australian society as a whole. Well, this is the the conversation that we're having around Germany and France at the moment. That at what point does Germany and France cease to be Germany and France? At what point does demographic shifts change a country to a point where it's no longer the country it's historically been? Yeah. You, you compile that with cost of living's gone up. Um, majority of people have maybe 1.5 children, that old moniker, if any children at all. You can see why the national socialists who do get radicalized so easily, why they cling on to the idea of replacement theory. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, it looks like it's happening. If you've got 200, if you've got 2 million migrants that come into an area of, say, Queensland, where it couldn't even deal with 100,000 asylum seekers from Victoria. And then those people have upwards of five children per family over the space of 10, 20 years. That is a huge demographic shift, cultural shift, voting lines shift. Everything changes within the cohesion of that, of that state. Oh, and, and you tend to find that the, you tend to find that they'll, they'll likely be labor voters because like the labor government, Allowed, the hand allowed that feeds it. You. Yeah, that's it. You don't bite the hand that feeds you. But like that's you know that's why there's been this rise up in. Look, I I don't know how big it is. I had a conversation and, and 
like this is going to paint a target on my back for saying this, but like a couple of these guys from this like Nat sock, I don't know. Some people call them wing Nats. I don't specifically understand what the wing Nat terminology means, but these, some of these national socialist guys, they exist in the Australian army. Like they actually exist in the Australian military because they're adhering to like, maybe not so much like white Australia policy, but that Christian framework that is like built up around Australia. Now, I understand it. I think in order for Australia to have like a prosperous future, we have to adhere to the to the sort of like laws that we had set many, many years ago. However, I understand the need for multiculturalism. We can't avoid multiculturalism. Like that 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 ship sailed long ago. And we can't we can't just like, you know, some of these NATSOC guys, some of them are really fucking out there. Some of them just want to like, yep, we're just going to put them all on a boat and ship them back to wherever they came from. Well, you can't do that. You know, like I have a big love for like the Indian community. I have a big love for the Hindu community and the Indian, the Indian diaspora that are in Australia, mate, they contribute $18 billion to the economy every single year. What are you going to do? Put them all on a boat and ship them back off to India. Where's that $18 billion going to come from? What, what, you know what that's going to do to the education system? And it's not a, Admittedly, $18 billion on the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge amount of money. But if you just take that out, if you just start taking this out because you want to ship people back overseas because they don't fall under some idea of like white Australia policy, you're going to see a degradation in the in the in the in the healthcare system. You're going to start to see a degradation in the in the education system, in the in the road and logistical infrastructure. You're going to see a degradation in many different faucets if you just start like taking people and just sending them back overseas. It's not going to happen, of course. But some of these some of these like Natsoc guys are really are really on the mark that they want this to happen, and it's a very very small amount. Admittedly, I, I don't think it ever will happen, but you know, they blow it up. The media like uses this like salacious, like salacious media hit pieces. Oh, neo-Nazis are in the fucking streets. You know, like these protesters that were up at Spring Street, like these eight guys that were well, one of them is like named Thomas, Thomas, Thomas so- Sowell. I kind of, his first name's Thomas. There's a whole bunch of these guys, you know, and the, the left-wing media like propagates and like, the fucking streets are running red with like a retelling of American history X where people are getting gutter stomped and stuff. I'm like, mate, this isn't happening. People if think, it... <laughs> people think that it's, it's romper stomper. Yeah, dude. People actually think it's romper stomper, but I, I think a lot of these people, bro, are like, I, I think a lot of them are just like city slickers. Like they're just like city bumpkins that have just like actually never really seen anything outside of their little microcosm spheres. You know, like you talk about, Talk about this this idea of like you are the average of your five closest friends. You know, there was a space last night where this bloke was, was <laughs> fuck, mate. Oh god, went till three a.m. in the goddamn morning, which I, I had to listen to every single moment of because it was so goddamn addictive. I bet you took so many notes. I had <gasps> to leave, but after I said my piece, I had to skedaddle because I was I sat there for forty minutes, like vibrating with anger. My body was heating up. I was so infuriated by the art and. I was infuriated by multiple people, not just this specific individual. I was infuriated by the counter arguments as well, because even the counter arguments, low IQ, low IQ counter arguments. Nothing went for the throat. Nothing went for the throat. Nothing. Not a single thing went for the throat. Like you had like these, like, you know, you had like the feminists coming up, like the turf movement ladies coming up that were from, from Ireland, from Scotland, from Australia, from the UK, wherever. But like they, they were just like propagating, like, 
some one-sided aspect of like argument and then like this other bloke the alternative media watch bloke he was just trumping them with just like uh you know he'd pull things out like oh well can you give me some sort of evidence can you give me this or he'd like argue this thing he'd, he'd make these little these oh, little did, like nick arguments that like, love his little little throwaway line that's a very disingenuous oh yes, position yes, for yes, you to yes, take yes, it's yes. a very disingenuous yeah, yeah i loved how i uh, i loved how he was calling out people for he was calling out people for pulling up singular cases and then dismissing singular cases but then he would defend from a position of singular cases like there was a lot of hypocrisy with that bloke last night i hope what i said drilled into him because he didn't seem to have any sort of rebuttal to what i said and he seemed to be completely fine with this idea of you know for people that don't know in victoria we have we have a legislative bill that came into effect july 2020 that essentially at, at, at its root cause separates um, parental consent from minors over like gender affirmation and <clears throat> the framework's very very clear and as i'm reading it out to this guy he goes oh you're just giving me anecdotes no bro i'm literally reading straight from the government website word for word you can call it anecdotes and that was his like constant argument oh it's anecdotes oh it's singular cases and then he would defend from a petition position of anecdotes and singular cases and he didn't have anything to back off of this idea of like, it's, you know, it's... I love, it's... I love how you said, I'm reading directly from the document. And you said, well, you're interpreting it wrong. It's in black and white. It clearly states yeah. for social to transition or med- and or medical transition. It has both loved, clearly outlined. I loved how he tried to, I, I, try, I loved how he tried to argue the industrial, the industrial revolution of machines only being right-handed and all the people that are left-handed missing out and i was trying to find this line as he's rattling off i'm like how are you trying to correlate social policies in public sectors to to machinations of the industrial age of right-handed machines and people who are left-handed missing out and i'm just thinking oh at the end of it bro like you're you're all for this you're all for castration of children and then five minutes later when they're talking about the jail system, he goes, oh, you know, just so everyone knows, I'm against the state castrating people, like forcefully castrating people. I'm like, is this guy for real? <laughs> you just know all his talking points came from some kind of a lecture or some kind of paper or thesis he wrote in university. Or from or from some sort of edict that is outlaid on the uh, Vic screen government. That could website. very well be true as well. I, I could not believe that guy. It was... It was- infuriating how he was just not aware of his own contradictions within the same sentences. Yeah, he was a funny character. He, he was, was actually following character. all the tenets of Rules for Radicals. Oh, 100%. And it, it baffled me. He called himself an anti-fascist, but he also called himself an anarchist. I'm like, So that's where I literally, I was yelling at my phone and Mick was telling me, <laughs> you've got to come on and nuke this guy. You've got to come on. And I'm yelling at the phone going... You're afraid of fascists because they're a threat to society. You are an anarchist. You literally want to dismantle society. You yeah. are the greatest security threat in this space right now. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, you know, it's, you know, obviously one of the more recent sort of things that has been happening on Twitter spaces, especially in the Australian community, is like this misinformation and disinformation bill, freedom of expression, freedom of human liberty, freedom of, like, you know, freedom of speech, this and that. And I know that there's been a bunch of people like that are hardcore right wing, like I'm talking like 
I'm talking alt-right wing, like right at the end of that spectrum, who want to come in and participate in these conversations, mainly pertaining to immigration policies and this and that. Now, there is obviously a couple of loose units that are just like flat-out racists. But like, if you just dismiss those voices in all their regard, all that's going to do is back those people into a corner and make them propagate their ideas even harder. It and drives it, it underground and makes it fester. Oh, if man, you can't have like a public discourse and you don't feel like you can be in a space and air your opinions and your views, you don't have to, people don't have to agree with it. People yep. can shoot it down intellectually, yep. but to drive it underground and let it fester away, it creates a real toxic rot for society. It doesn't matter what end of the spectrum politically it's coming from. Yep. And you know what's funny? That's what happened the 50 years leading up to the French Revolution dissenting voices people who were concerned about the taxation people were bankrupt the farmers the people who were literally like fueling the food of france at the time they ended up going underground and what happened 50 years later or politicians kings aristocrats they're getting strung up on string they're getting their heads lobbed off this went on for almost a hundred years man and like now there's a and i'm not saying this will happen in australia I feel that something very similar will happen in the US. I'm actually I'm actually greatly concerned for the United States personally. I feel that the United States is is on the verge of like some form of like a modern civil war. I, I don't think know. it's I think it could go down the routes of a a balkanization of sorts. I agree. I agree. And it's you know I had a conversation this a a a guy I, I used to play video games with, and this is going back a couple of years ago, his name's Kyle. And we had this conversation about what was happening in the US, like with the left-wing, right-wing politics. And um, in Washington, in, in, in the state of Washington, on the northern border of the state of Washington is Idaho. And there's a town called Cœur de Long or Cœur de Flon. It's a, it's a small, well, it's, it's a town of like 25,000 people. <clears throat> And in this town, it has become so politically divisive that the, the town separates both borders. So the town actually fall, falls into Washington and also falls into Idaho. <clears throat> and what has happened in that, in that town is if you were of a right-wing conservative nature, but you fell into the Washington side of the state, you ended up either moving or selling your properties to go into the into the Idaho section of the state because Idaho is a Republican state, Washington D, or Washington state is a Democrat state. And this was happening across both lines. So people were essentially moving their businesses to the other side to completely separate. <clears throat> and he lives there. And in the same footing, there was a reduction in loose gun laws. There was a reduction in crime laws. Mate, businesses getting shot up, stabbings happen. Basically, basically inner city brawls have been happening. I don't know in the last like sort of six to 12 months what's been happening there. I haven't spoken to this guy in, in, in well and truly over 12 months now. But when he's telling me this stuff, I'm like, mate, I think this will happen in the US in all border states. You'll find all these small towns where it will propagate themselves, where you're just going to have, where you're going to have essentially like local clusters of civil unrest it is going to blow out onto a national onto a national level. And I'm worried if this stuff happens in the United States of America, and like I said before, the West, 
for at least the last, like I would comfortably say 40, maybe even 50 years, has looked to the United States as the melting pot of scientific change, of, of, of economic policy changes, of, so, of societal fabric changes, whether that is a cultural change or, you know, a change in direction of music, whatever it might be. <clears throat> if we see this happen in America, you bet your fucking bottom dollar that it will happen in Canada, that it'll happen in the UK, that it'll happen in Australia, that it'll probably probably won't happen in New Zealand. I don't think there's really enough people for it to sort of happen in New Zealand, but it will certainly present itself in some way, shape or form in Australia. And I I guess I, I guess a part of me is really sort of concerned about the 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 Western Christian mindset, the Western Christian framework. Because like you said earlier, you push people underground that thing is going to fester and propagate itself. And when it pops back up out of the, I'm going to use sewers, like a very loose term. I don't mean they're actually in sewers, but when those heads begin to pop themselves back out again, <clears throat> it's going to be scary. And it's going to present itself in such a way that I think politicians will end up being lynched in the streets. I, I pray that this stuff doesn't happen, but history has been the, History has been the decider of these things. It has happened time and time again over thousands of years. And I genuinely believe, irrespective that we have the internet now, it will continue to happen. I think it will happen much quicker than what it used to do because of this immediate exchange of information. And I just hold like, I hold like a heavy heart, man, for the West. Like, I love the West, bro. I've grown up. I've grown up in the West. I've grown up around a Western Christian framework. And it has allowed it has allowed the propagation of capitalism to flow where people can make something of themselves and if you just consistently stamp that out and you know what it'd be it'd be like that end the the added ending they put on to return of the jedi when the death star blows up and they're pulling down all the statues of palpatine and all the planets all over the place in this galaxy are starting to write all it will take is one of those border towns one of those big cities someone would get a politician we don't want this to happen, but historically it does happen. There's precedence for it. It would be live streamed. It would be put on social media and it would happen all over the country in the US. And yeah. then what extent does that happen in other Western countries? Because it's being shared. It's being shown. It can happen. To a, a small degree, it's almost happening in Australia that we're seeing borders almost be redefined by a, a political or moral stance. We saw it in the US where everyone went to Florida. Everyone went there. That was like the freedom state with a few others, of course. Yeah. We almost saw a degree of that in Australia with the mass exodus of Victoria to Queensland. Oh, People yeah. thought Queensland was the escape. So even on that small metric, we're seeing elements of that American template playing out here for sure. <clears throat> and and something I've wanted to, I, I wanted to mention earlier when we we're talking about COVID. And I think this is going to, I think this plays like a, I think this might play a role in some way, shape or fashion. You know, when we're talking about the birth rates and this and that and how like, you know, immigrants <clears throat> that come to Australia have this inclination to just like prosper and have, you know, have a family, how would I say it? Like a prosper family lineage of having like five, six, seven kids, which traditionally like, christians would normally have obviously there's obviously there's an argument to be made and there's there's you know there's some studies that support this that you know with wealth comes lack of children because you have all this wealth you want to like live your best life you don't want to like have to like struggle because children are cheap 
mate, people get dogs and cats. Dogs and cats aren't cheap. So I can only imagine school fees are out of control, irrespective if they're public schools, irrespective if they're pri- more so than not if they're private schools. Mate, Scotch College. Oh, you want to talk about expensive? How about forking out 100K a year for a student to go to and like, you know, learn the, exactly the same curriculum that like, you know, a secondary a secondary Christian college in like the southeast of Melbourne, you know, charges like, let's say, 15000 or $20,000 a year for. But I go, right, you strip that away. You have a lack of birth rate. And this goes into some issues with I have with the COVID mandates as well. You look at, you know, I mentioned I've mentioned it on spaces, and I, I, I know a lot of people. Are, I've spoken to a lot of people like behind the scenes on DMs on Twitter about it. They were actually shocked when I pulled up these when I pulled up these numbers. Is <clears throat> you look at the birth rates for the entire country? Victoria is the most shocking example of it. Where most jabbed, st- most jabbed. Just saying, mo- most jabbed state. We had oh, the 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 vaccine rollouts for Australia was February twenty twenty one. December 2020, the birth rates for Victoria were 5,700. I think it was 5,706. The birth rates for December 2021, 21 people in a state of six and a half million people. Only 21 babies were born in the whole state. Now, I don't know jack shit about jack shit when it comes to the vaccines and how it behaves in the in intricate nature of the reproductive system and that. But when I see February is the rollouts... And I see December differences between a 12-month window and a 10-month gestation period of pregnancy. I know a lot of people have this idea that like pregnancy lasts for nine months, but the entire gestation period is actually 10 months from like the moment of conception all the way to birth. I go, well, you're telling me that people stopped fucking? You think that you think the five-kilometer radius limits? You think the one hour a day going out and exercising, you think like the 9 p.m. curfews stop people from going to their partner's houses and getting their fuck on? Mate, I don't give a shit what kind of policies you put in play. Having sex is like a biological mechanism for people. You can't like stamp that out. People are going to have sex irrespective if there's COVID mandates or not. And now you're telling me the birth rate runoff is well and truly in the 99%. And that that drop-off was so staggering. Like, I will have the small caveat that birth rates had been declining prior to that steadily, steadily. Mm, 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 mm. You throw in on top of that, stress is a major factor for fertility issues. Like, people locked in their houses being told they're going to die and they're going to kill grandma. That is stressful, right? Yeah. I would conservatively think that would only account for, say, a drop in maybe 1,000, 2,000 birth rate. Not not down into the two-digit figures. That's just... Static, that's staggering in a drop. That, uh, I don't even I don't even know what the percentage is, but I I would comfortably say it's well and truly over ninety percent, probably over over probably over ninety five percent. I'd probably say even close to a ninety eight ninety nine percent threshold of, of drop off. And it's like <clears throat> when you see those figures, how do you think the government's going to behave when they see those figures? They're not going to like look in their backyard and go like, oh, you know, maybe we fucked up with our like you know COVID mandate policies. No, no, no. You know what we're going to do? <gasps> Immigrants. Let- Immigrants, let's let's fuel immigrants coming in because we need to get those numbers back up, baby. We've got to get those numbers back up because those rookie numbers. Pump those numbers up. Pump those numbers up, bro. I've got to build myself a fucking tunnel. I've got to build myself. I've got to build myself a freeway. I've got to build myself a fucking highway. I've got to build this. I've got to build that. Fucking city gotta... loop that won't be finished till twenty forty. <laughs> like imagine that that the concept of having a, a job. I know it's infrastructure is important. It takes a while to build, but 
a job that will finish in 2040 where the population could outgrow the need for what it can actually deliver, let alone if some kind of new fantastic technology comes and surpasses trains in that time. Yep, yep. It's, yep. Oh. it's so fucked. Oh, and not even mentioning... Not even mentioning the quarant- uh, the the concentration. Sorry, not the concentration. The quarantine facility at Mickleham, five hundred eighty eighty million dollars. I think it cost to to make, and then the the state government also allocated one hundred eighty million dollars to keep it running. Mate, I've got a mate next door to this fucking place. Yeah, he sent me video footage. The place is empty. There's no one there. There's security guards. There's a couple of workers, but they just rock up. They sit in their offices. They fumble with their ball bags. They sit on social media all day. And the only time in the since this Mickleham uh, quarantine facility came into existence, the only time there's been a genuine issue where people have been doing some some fuckery on that site was there was some 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 crazy cats that got that got caught like creating meth or creating heroin on this fucking place. <laughs> like there was like a group of ten of them that somehow or another got into the facility, passed all security measures, set up in one of the little houses that they had on the site and was creating meth or heroin for the last like five months. And what, nobody knew? What, you didn't smell it? You didn't smell the chemicals that were being drifted out into the area? What, the security guards that were walking past didn't happen to know, notice a bunch of actual cookers in those little houses creating drugs? Oh, don't give me this nonsense, mate. Like... 180 million to maintain it, essentially, and have people just... Go around the perimeter, making sure it's not like on fire. Essentially, yeah. What what about all the the families that need emergency housing that can't get it? Well, if it's being paid for anyway, why not put people up for at least a month? Give them some kind of respite. No, yeah. Just we won't do that. Okay. What's your? This is this is my personal thought, and this is a thought, and and I've talked about it on some Twitter spaces before, not on many, but I have, and it's a contentious point, especially when we look at the Australian demographic. And this is my personal opinion, and it's fair for people to call it out. In my personal opinion, I don't think you should be able to purchase a property, like a residential property or even like a commercial property or even a farm property, if you're not an Australian citizen. That's my my personal opinion. I know in many other countries, they do exactly the same thing. But in Australia, we've got this notion that like, oh, no, if you're a permanent resident, that's okay. But I can be a permanent resident in Australia for the rest of my life without applying for a citizenship but I still have access to the entire encompassment of land rights in the same field that a citizen has access to, then what the fuck is the point of a citizenship if, if, if permanent residents have access to the same stuff? Now, there's obviously an argument to me, maybe if you're a permanent resident, you've lived in Australia for maybe like, let's say 10 years. Now you have the ability to buy. But if I'm a permanent resident, if I come over from another country, it doesn't matter, insert whatever country you want in your own mind. And I come to Australia and I, and, I, and I apply for permanent residency, which the process to become a permanent resident is an absolute fucking gimmick. If I become a permanent resident, I can now buy whatever I want. That becomes a problem. And it's really begun to like show its teeth, especially when we talk about the social housing situation. Like we had an issue in Victoria going back into the early 2000s where well, I think like 2008, 2004, I think, is when we started introducing specific policies around uh, companies being able to purchase, to being able to purchase businesses and commercial property. So, obviously, one of the things that presented itself very shortly after those policies came into effect was 
um, Chinese businesses coming into coming into Victoria and buying up commercial businesses and buying up farm and land and this and that. And on face value, it's like, oh, you know, like, you know, this is going to prop up the economy, which was definitely which was definitely an angle that the state government at the time were pushing. Oh, it's propping up the economy, this and that, everything will be good, la, 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 la. And then shortly after, we were having housing cri- we were having housing crisis issues from 2008 to 2012. So what did the state government do? Oh, now you can't purchase as an individual, but they changed and twisted the policy to such a degree that the individual is not allowed to purchase these things anymore. Oh, sorry, no, it was trusts. Trusts were allowed to purchase, were allowed to purchase commercial and residential land or residential zoning. And then they changed the laws in 2008 to 2012 where now the trust is not allowed to do it. But if I'm a beneficiary of the trust, I can still purchase commercial and residential zoning. So this stuff is still in effect till this day. It has not changed. And it's like, don't you see the problem with that? Like, you're not really like stopping it. You're just like, you're just extending the mark in terms of like some extra paperwork that needs to be filled out. That's all you're doing. But those same people are still able to go out and do this. And, you know, around my area, bro, like I live around the Chadston area, like around the southeast. Mate, you know how many fucking properties I walk past that are empty? People go and buy these properties. I swear to God. There's people that are coming around buying up properties. They're empty. And they're empty for months and months and months. Mate, there's four houses that are within 100 meters of my house. I go for walks around my neighborhood daily. Empty houses have been empty for well and truly over 12 months. And I think, so someone came and bought the property. They're not living in it. There's no rent. There's no renters in the property. What's the property being used for? Is it just sitting there as land? Are you just like letting it sort of rise up, it rise up in value to sell it one day? I can't imagine that's just it. Like I imagine if you bought empty plots of land, maybe, but. We've got the same issue down here. Like um, I live in Gippsland in Latrobe Valley and yeah, I've, I work with a lot, of, a lot of young teachers who, you know, they're fresh out of university. It's their first couple of years. They're still at home with mum and dad. They get into their second year of teaching. They they think they're ready to buy a house. Well, in this region, anytime a house comes up for sale, generally it's sold within the week. Yeah. Just speaking in general. The problem is every time these houses got for sale, generally it's purchased by one of five people from Melbourne that buy these places unseen. Cash, I've got it. Cash, it's new mine now. Yep, Price and sales. and like you like you said, generally they aren't rented out for quite a while. Yep, and it's a problem, man. And it's like, what's what's the, what's the way that the government sort of circumnavigates those situations, especially with the social housing crisis now? Oh, sorry, with the housing crisis in general, with a with a rent with a lack of rental properties, or they claim to have a lack of rental properties. Oh, let's scapegoat Airbnbs. That's the answer. Scapegoat let's Airbnbs. Let's make Airbnbs look like the bad guys. Oh yeah, well, scapegoat Airbnbs will fuel social housing funds that is only going to build like twenty thousand houses, but then we've got three hundred fifty thousand immigrants coming in. Where do you think those immigrants are going to go? Where do you think the people that are already looking for houses are going to go? Oh, and then let's not even get into the collapse of the building industry, the collapse of, you know, oh, Metricon basically went under until the government like fucking gave them a handout to like help them out. Mate, I worked in the, um, I worked in the financial sector as a broker for a very, for a very, well, I say a very short amount of time, but it was like two and a half, almost three years. And one of the things that I saw and I was fucking shocked at is that 
there's a prop up of all these small construction businesses like resi like residential construction businesses that will take take the deposits from the banks or take the deposits from the individuals who are going to get the loans they close up shop they go back overseas the properties never get built and then people are left out of pocket and the bank goes sorry i don't know how to help you and then the insurance company goes sorry i don't know how to help you we didn't finalize we didn't finalize the purchase we weren't at like the end we weren't at the end of those loan agreements so therefore the insurance company like doesn't hold any doesn't hold any um uh, what's the term they hold no uh liability liability thank you they hold no liability and it's just <sighs> well you oh. look at like the the deals that people got on on loans the government put through these if you build a brand new home within this time frame you'll get x percent off the cost of the house so many people signed up for these deals yeah then that we had that whole issue of a supply chain problem where we couldn't get the resources to build and those contracts yeah those contracts blew out and people end up losing everything (laughs) i had a couple a young couple 25 and 26 now that first homeowners grant that you were mentioning that applied to brand new properties that had no people living in them and then it applied to first home buyers of current existing dwellings you obviously got more money if it was a brand new property you got less money if it was an existing plot this couple bought an existing property. They got the first homeowner's grant. I think it was, I think it was like twenty thousand dollars or something like that, as opposed to I think it was, I think it ended up being about forty thousand if you had purchased uh, either either a, a house and land package or a brand new property that had no previous tenants living in it. Um, and this couple bought a house out in Listerfield. They paid, and this is when our interest rates like went down to like one point eight percent or whatever. <clears throat> and they bought this house for $1.8 million out in Listerfield South, I think it was. The interest rate, when they got it, they got it on a fixed interest rate at 1.8%. I believe it was through Westpac that they got it done. The mortgage they'd pay during the fixed period was about $2,800 a month, which is for a $1.8 million property, $2,800 a month, that's pretty reasonable. That's about the price you would pay for rent in like a reasonably good area. Once that fixed term ended, bro, Mate, they got this two-year fixed interest. By the time that by the time that interest rate had ended, I had left the industry by then, but my mate was still in it. This couple, the the fixed rate ended and it went from 1.8 up to like four and a half percent. Their repayments literally went from twenty eight hundred dollars a month and shot up just under five thousand dollars a month. You know what they had to do? They sold the house. They couldn't afford it anymore. They and look, there's obviously an argument made where like, oh, you know, you got to like, you got to manage your lifestyle. You can't do this. You can't do that anymore. But mate, you're talking about like, you're talking about a a two times increase on your repayments per month on a property, and it's just how do people even like? How do people even? I think a lot of people don't have this conceptual idea of of how interest rates work, especially on the greater on the greater understanding of the sort of like economic factors and the sphere of things. You know, like when you talked about like the lack of resources, like lack of timber. Don't give me that bullshit. We lack of fucking timber, mate. I know a hundred. I know a hundred. Uh, I, I know a hundred wood farms, like timber farms, that exist in Victoria alone. Let alone the other states. Let alone importing timber from overseas. There was no lack. There was no lack at all. It was just the policies, the the pandemic policies that were put in place during this time, was stopping was stopping 
um, importing of specific materials because they were getting stu stuck at the docks for six to 12 months because some Joe Blow had to go into these containers and test every single piece of wood for some tiny little droplet particulate of COVID. And if one, if one container had one particulate droplet of COVID on it, that, that container got them put into another section at, at the docks in Melbourne where it was separated from all the others and left there for 12 months for that virus apparently to like dissipate and die. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? A virus that isn't alive in the first place. Oh, man. <laughs> that just... dies from UV light. Like, dies, but like, how can it die if it's not alive? The mental gymnastics that have just been going on and it all stems back from the past three years. Like... Like you said, what is the goal of the powers that be? Are they willfully ignorant? Are they just so dumb and have no idea how the actual system operates? Or is it being done by by really scrupulous reasons? Are they doing it to purposely dismantle the Western democratic system to reinstall some kind of quasi-techno-feudalist future that's a globalist technocracy? What's What's yeah. happening? <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, you can you you can find it obviously when you see when you see like you know one of the things that I've I've taken a little bit of a keen interest in recently is like the UN's you know the UN policies around um, you know climate change, the UN policies around uh, net net zero carbon emissions, and you know like oh the fucking world's boiling, we're all going to end up like we're all going to end up on a world on fire, and the oceans are going to just rise up and overswath huge amounts of land, and this and that, you know. And I read the yeah, fuck, I couldn't believe this when I read it. The twenty twenty one the twenty twenty one global forestry report from the UN. And in that report, and it's a 116-page document, in that report, it, 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 describes, it describes how many trees there are on the planet, over 3.04 trillion, 3 trillion adult trees. But in that report, it doesn't use specific terminology revolving around how trees behave with carbon dioxide. So carbon, carbon sequestration, oh God, I always butcher that terminology. It's S-E-Q. So, yeah, that, which is basically the, the, the scientific analogy for the, for the absorption of carbon. And then there was another one as well. I'd have to go back to my notes to have a quick look at it. But these two, these two, major terms that is used for how trees behave in a, in, in a macro scale climate, they completely disbar those terms. And I ended up like doing a little bit of reading and turns out, turns out that what they consider to be an adult tree, which has a trunk diameter of 10 inches, absorbs up to 22 kilograms of carbon dioxide per year. Okay. So 22, 22 kilograms of, I don't know what that is in, I don't know what that is in like American, American imperial like mathematics, but 22 kilograms of carbon dioxide per year times 3.04 million, a trillion tree, adult trees. You're talking well and truly over 66, 660 trillion kilograms of carbon dioxide is absorbed back into trees per year that that number dwarfs any statistics that is put out from environmental from environmental 
companies that have this whole idea that, oh, you know, there's all this carbon being put into the air. It's fucking the climate, this and that. It's, it's, it's all bullshit. I mean, there's certainly arguments to be made for some aspects of human intervention with the amount of carbon that's propagated into the environment. But they, and when I say they, these powers that be, seemingly love to play this game of like pick and choosing different aspects of environmentalism just to push specific narratives. They avoid so many different aspects of macro scale environment and macro scale climate that it allows them to propagate and fuel policies that the UN and the World Economic Forum outlay that then the world governments that are part of the United Nations have to adhere to because they signed up because they pay their they pay their yearly membership. And it's it's infuriating when I see it because the policies that they outlay that then like people like Chris Bowen and the Australian Commonwealth put in are bullshit policies that actually don't do anything. Like you're telling me, and this goes back obviously to you know previous conversation we had well and truly over an hour ago now, <laughs> is like wind turbines, solar farms. Well, all right, let's put up a bunch of fucking ugly wind turbines that are killing off avian species. Let's put out a bunch of massive amounts of solar farms that we have to essentially rip up the ground for like all the animals, all the insects in those areas that play significant roles in those local ecosystems, which then play significant roles in macro ecosystems are being killed off, which is then causing microcosm collapses of local ecosystems, which is then assisting with the collapse of major ecosystems. It makes me think like, do you guys actually know what the fuck you're doing? Or you're hiring people that are, uh, World Economic Forum young members and leaders that are getting given directives and sheets that they have to adhere to themselves. They're pushing agenda. It. They're pushing agenda. Oh, Half the time yeah, we see agendas. the science, they say it is science, mm. but it ends up being social sciences. Oh, it has nothing yeah. to do with the environment. There's a great analogy to what you are just saying. Um, I think 22 kilos in pounds is roughly like 50 pounds, 48 pounds, something around that area for the yeah. international listeners. But there was a great visual representation of what you were just saying. They had an Olympic-sized swimming pool. This is the atmosphere of the planet. Um, here's a black black food dye in this one droplet. That one droplet represents all the greenhouse emissions just from man in a single year. They drop it into the pool. It dissipates. You can't see it. It's so small and insignificant, it goes nowhere. Okay, well, let's go to the most extreme analogy. And he pulls out a coffee cup, fills it with black ink, does the same thing. It dissipates. The earth is so monumentally massive and has its own systems in place where it can handle X amount of what we're doing. There are other factors of pollution, say plastics in the ocean and things that a lot of people do see as an issue. But this, this fairyland idea that humans are the sole responsibility for changing climate, it's a pipe dream. It's been changing since the dawn of time. There's a reason why supposedly dinosaurs and megafauna were so big. They were so big because the atmosphere allowed it to happen. Yeah. It's, oh, mate. Even when we talk about, you know, like the fossil fuel industry. Oh, you know, 
let's put a bunch of people on a Greenpeace boat to go out and stop these oil, these oil rigs because these oil rigs, you know, like, oh, one of the pipes like on these oil rigs, like got a crack in and oil's like spewing into the ocean It's and it's killing off avian species and this and that. Like, you know, one recently was off the coast of Mauritius um, or off the coast of like the eastern coast of South Africa that the oil was then because of the oceanic currents was was drifting onto the southern coast of Mauritius that like birds were getting caught up in the oil and they were getting covered in oil and you know they made this big salacious hit piece and, and fair enough that certainly is a problem the infrastructure of the infrastructure of a lot of these oil refineries needs to be perfected and i get that but on the same footnote these these environmental companies and the governments that back them don't even go into describe the natural oil seepage that exists through all the continental plates that run between the ocean the ocean currents like mate there's billions and bill- we're talking somewhere in the ballpark of like 200 billion liters of oil is naturally seeped out into the ocean per year without human intervention but like they see the oil just drifting across and they assume, oh, it's come from that fucking BHP oil refinery oh, way over there. And it's not. It's just coming from natural oil seepage. Oh, let's let's avoid let's avoid the con let's avoid the conversation about the amount of volcanic eruptions that happen per year. Let's avoid the two thousand two hundred volcanic eruptions per year on the planet that propagate, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of like twenty billion tons of sulfur sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere. But the planet has seemed to manage that for the last billion fucking years. So what? You think all of a sudden the planet is just going to switch off its ability to like its ability to deal with these things? You think like oh, because there's a bunch of <laughs> you think there's a bunch of like a bunch of like you know fucking humans running around that like all of a sudden the planet is just going to like stop or shift gears and go like you know what? I'm not going to partake in this game anymore. You guys are left to your own devices. It doesn't happen, man. But they play like humans are the be all and end all where we have such a such a such an effect on the environment that the ocean levels are rising. That you know, all these landslides and this and that are happening. Let's not even get into fucking geoengineering. Like it's it's almost the point of they're unintentionally applying like a religious stance on what the climate scam is to the point where they're putting humans on the same pantheon as gods where we can impact the environment on such a level that we simply can't do. We can't create the issues that they're saying we're creating and we can't possibly fix the issues that are happening naturally. We cannot have that impact. Yeah. Not at all. So we just got to stop breathing. Essentially. We've got to stop. We've got to stop. You are the carbon they want to reduce. Oh, that is what it is. Well, mate, there's some, (laughs) there's some shit that I've seen that it like makes me question a lot of things. And it's just funny how, it's just funny how a lot of these policies have been like all for naught and like they're not going to attribute to anything in the long term. Like I, I'm all for the reduction of microplastics in the oceans. I think every person, irrespective of who they or how they sit in this idea of environmentalism, I think most people are of the agreement that like we need to reduce microplastics in the ocean. That is certainly a problem. You know, you do see you see video footage and photos of, you know, turtles and dolphins and sharks and this and that. They get caught up in nets and stuff that are like left adrift. Those are problems that need to be managed 100%. But you can't tell me that me creating a manufacturing plant over here that's creating X, Y, and Z product is causing 
the entire global climate to shift to such a degree that the temperature is going to increase and the world's going to fucking boil and fucking avian and land species are going to get wiped out of existence. Like, bro, it was hotter during the Roman period and there was no industrial manufacturing to what we have today during the Roman period. So in the Roman period, North Africa was the grain belt of the Roman Empire. 100%. And look at it today. Look at today. You could not grow grain there, not to the levels that would sustain an empire. Yeah. You and know what, even... though, Fozzie? The Sorry. issue is they have kind of proven the point that humans can save the day because Leonard Nimoy told us in the 70s the Northern Hemisphere would be on a mile ice shelf again, and he stopped it. So yeah. Spock stopped it. We're fine. It's okay. We just need another celebrity to come along and save our problems. Well, we've got, um, we've got what's-her-face, uh, Greta Thunberg. How dare you? She's the best. She's the best. You know, she sits there. You know, I'm sure you've seen that footage from her her most recent stunt where the two police officers are, like, holding her and then someone had their video footage or their camera out, like, recording. And she's just sitting there, standing there, laughing with them, talking about this and that. And then, like, 10 minutes later, let's start the show. Camera rolls. They start marching up over the hill to go into the site where all the rest of the camera crew (laughs) is waiting for her and this and that. I'm like, people don't see this shit. It's a bold strategy to suggest that autism can prevent man-made climate change. Oh, my God. Is that a thing? <laughs> that's what, that's what they're presenting by using a highly autistic young girl, possibly yeah. with fetal alcohol syndrome. Oh I'm, not, I'm not picking on her looks, but... Yeah, yeah, of course. All the facial features there go along with it. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just so silly that... It's so silly that there's so many people on this planet that, like genuinely believe government edict is and the edict themselves are the right move like you know you know what it comes down to fozzy it comes down to like it or not the western world has begun to move away from the abrahamic faiths religion has has gone down and naturally something has to take its place and unfortunately government or science you could argue now has taken the place of god 100%. 100%. Big Daddy government's definitely done that. That's definitely a conversation I know we could get into on the philosophical and theological de- debates around what's happening in our world. But we've been here for nearly two and a half hours. That's right. <laughs> it has absolutely flown, mate. So we'll have to come get you back on again. Um, yeah, done. Enjoy your trip to India, my friend, if I don't see you before then. Um, you'll have an absolute blast. I know you're going to have an absolute mind-blowing experience seeing all the old structures and buildings and links to proto-European culture all within 100%, 100%. India. You'll enjoy it, man. Oh, I will, bro. It's going to be... Look, I'll, 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 I'm going to try and find time to sort of be on social media as much as possible because, you know, I don't know if I can give myself a little bit of a plug in this example. Go for but, it, friend. Go yeah, fantastic. It. So um, <clears throat> I've got a Patreon there. Um, unfortunately, uh, Elon Musk and the crew at uh, X hasn't accepted my monetization application, even though it's been sitting in the queue for about four months and I've sent off like 10 emails asking them for them to approve it. Uh, but once that's there, that's there. I've got a YouTube uh, ready to go. I've only got one video loaded up, which is just like sort of an introductory on, on what I'm doing and this and that. Um, I'll be doing some charity work. I'll be recording vlogging. I'll be recording like sort of ancient sites and this and that. And, you know, sort of getting to know an entirely different aspect of the culture that like a lot of people from the West, like, have never really seen and when they think of you know india you're either going to get some people go oh that's amazing or you're going to get other people that have like consistently said to me oh you've got to be careful you don't want to get 
You don't want to get stung. You don't but want to get shit in the streets, don't you? They, know, sh- they shit in the fucking streets, mate. I go, bro. Like I don't think you've ever been to India. That might have happened once upon a time, but when you take look, not to go off on a tangent, but real quick, <laughs> when you when a country has been when a country has been under 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 rule from other countries for almost literally a thousand years, we're talking about like the Mughal Empire, the Islamic Empire for close to close to I think like 650 700 years and then the British Empire for another 200 years and mind you the British Empire took out somewhere in the ballpark of about 40 trillion dollars worth of gold when you strip a country of its natural resources and the country has to start again from the ground up don't expect there not to be some fucking shit in the street <laughs> but I can go down to Melbourne CBD and see some joker who's been on fucking methamphetamine for the last two days shit in the fucking street obviously if i go to a country that's got 1.4 billion people i'm gonna see a lot more of it but that's not that doesn't concern me bro these things shift these things change mode this moddy government that's currently in place there they've done heaps mate they've outlaid energy infrastructure electrical infrastructure they've brought electricity to parts of the country that haven't had access to it for literally almost 100 years so yeah it's going to be a beautiful trip i can't wait i'll, I'll still keep relevant on social media I, I won't be on twitter spaces as much um i'll try to come in at least maybe like once every two weeks for a particular space this and that maybe i'll run my own we'll sort of see what happens but if there's some time bro yeah i'd love to like do another like little podcast while i'm in here who knows i might be out on fucking mount kailas <laughs> fucking bare ass sitting on the top of a mountain with my laptop who knows we'll, well see what i was happens. gonna suggest like if you know if you don't get as much funding needs like you were just plugging before, you can always go onto OnlyFans and sun your asshole with some yogis on top of a true, temple somewhere. True. People pay out the uh, out the nose for that one. Oh, there's a few sadistic people out there. They definitely pay are. For, for feet and all sorts of weird things. Oh, I, I think a certain individual on last night's uh, space would probably pay for that. He a will if I had a tattoo of a hammer and sickle on my fucking chest. Oh, he'd, lo- he'd love it. All <laughs> right, mate. Um, where can we find you on on X or on Twitter? What's what's your handle that people? Yeah, can do? so it's uh the the X handle is Fozzy uh Fozzy the Aussie, but the Aussie with two Zs. Unfortunately, there's another account that has the two S's. I sent a message to it, but the account hasn't been active for at least ten years, which is a bit unfortunate. So it's Fozzy the Aussie with two Zs instead of in replacement of the S's for Aussie. Um, and then my Patreon is Fozzy the Aussie, exactly how you imagine spelling Aussie. Um, and same with my YouTube. Awesome, mate. I'll um I'll pop those in the show notes and get some people to get some traction over your way, and hopefully they can fund you a little bit in India and enjoy your time. Thank you so much, brother. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Until the next time. That's it. Great conversation, mate. I'll catch you around. Hey, brother. Hey, everybody. It's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.